plus comments and opinions from you, the people, the cult of Cornette, and joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the proprietor of the French Toast Chateau, now serving warm salt water and Vicks Vapor Rub, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. What you're alluding to is the fact that I'm a bit under the weather. However... We're going to have a good show because right now I am so hopped up on caffeine and Sudafed and marijuana and DayQuil and vitamin water. Wait a minute. We're going to hear about you on TMZ. You're going to go into convulsions out in front. Well, not in front of the Viper Room. You're in New Jersey. You're going to go into convulsions outside of some mob-affiliated athletic club. The mob is a Hollywood creation, the the mob. Let's just uh, throw that out there. Well, it actually is fictitious and doesn't exist. That's but right. but the, the, all the various substances that you have just talked about, in order to fight, you don't have the COVID. You no. got what I got. I'm a, little, ah, I'm a little hoarse, a little raspy today because of the fucked up, sucky spring weather that's everywhere. You've got the allergies, right? I believe so, because all of a sudden the other day, uh, when my daughter, who has allergies, when it really rose up for her. And I never had this problem when I was younger. It's just the last few years. But I woke up with a sore throat because my nose was clogged up. And then I did clog my nose. You breathe through your your mouth, your throat all night, and it makes it raw. Exactly. And as we all know, raw sucks. So I didn't want that. (laughs) Yes. But that and just in my head and my sinuses. So I've been taking the sinus shit and just it's terrible. I hate allergies and uh yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to someone about allergies the other day. It's awful. You were. You were you were doing that. And I was doing the same thing. But we're gonna power through this today. Even though you sound lackluster and, and I sound froggy. Michigan J Frog to the rescue today, the co-host of the uh experience. But we're talking about the sucky spring. Well, you know what season, Brian, that I hate the worst of all of the year round. You know which one. It's common knowledge. I've talked about it. I hate the wintertime because everything is, there's no leaves on the trees and the little animals are hiding or hibernating and the, everything is brown and bleak and cold and wet. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray and I can't go for a walk because it's a cold ass winter's day. I hate the wintertime, but what do I love? What do I talk about every year? What do I crow about from the rooftops? The springtime. Because then all the leaves are coming out. Everything's turning green. Go back to the last year's podcast. <clears throat> last year's podcast. Well, I was talking about I got the bird's nest with the baby birds out my window there where I'm watching the mama feed the babies every morning. We had two little baby deers born here on the castle grounds as well as a family of six or seven of them hung out for the whole, the whole season. All the, the the leaves. And of course, what do I wait for? What do I wait from one year to the next for? 
the blooming of the dogwood. It's my Christmas now, like I was a little kid. Well, we've got jacked out of our spring because of the constant cold weather and the constant mucky, wet, rainy weather. And it's bumfuzzled and gobsmacked the plants and the biological functions, or it's not biological, it's what is the logical that the plants do? Uh, ecological? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, one of those things, all them processes is sideways. And now, I last year, the dogwood was in full bloom, pink and white, for almost a month. All through the month of April. This year, I've got a couple of pink blooms that have just come out. And most of the tree is already going to green leaves because it's like, what the fuck's going on here? This has disrupted our schedule. And most of the trees around here are still eking out little bits of leaves. So it's almost May. It's almost Derby. All these old fat blue-haired women won't be able to find flowers for their hats because there's nothing blooming. What do you got to say about this? Well, when it comes to you being upset in the winter because of the lack of green, have you ever thought about pine trees? Well, I've... Remember what I lost in the bad weather in December? Oh, yeah. The big evergreen. The big cedar. Yeah, I've got some. I'm going to be planting. As soon as I can find somebody to plant me some, I had the guy that was supposedly the best landscaper or the best landscape company in Louisville out here in October, told him what I wanted, do me a plan, let's get some ideas for the spring. I've never heard from the motherfucker again. People won't come out and do a job. You think it's hard getting people to do a job in wrestling. Try to get them to plant something or build something. Anyway, have you talked to the feather bottoms? You that. What about the feather bottoms? I got the well, the feather bottoms can't use shovels. <laughs> Look, Fanny and Felcher, they've each only got one arm. Uh, you're so consistent. I give you so much credit. <laughs> and poor Hotchkiss, the physical state of him, if he picked up a shovel, he'd fall over sideways. The the biggest problem he's had with the weather lately is the strong winds are keeping him off balance. So he's not up to the physical labor. He he's got the mind. Got the mind. But I'll tell you what, speaking of the feather bottoms, hold on here. You just segued for me because I got an email from Christopher uh in the United Kingdom somewhere, doesn't specify. Hello, Jim and Brian. I hope you're both well and staying safe along with your families. I just thought I would give you an update. On timescale for delivery of your merchandise, I ordered a book and t-shirt on March the 7th, and it arrived to me in the United Kingdom on March 24th, 17 days, internationally. Absolutely love it, and love the podcast, love the different segments, and even the adverts, which is what they call the advertising, or the advertisements over there across the pond. That's an example, that's the mind of Hotchkiss Featherbottom and the two arms together of Fanny and Felcher Featherbottom that are doing that. Now, some people may say, well, I ordered my figures longer than 17 days ago, and I live in Cleveland. Well, the answer, I'm the bottleneck here. We are still signing figures. I just actually passed off to the Featherbottoms another hundred and something boxes of figures, um, whatever, three, two days ago. 
and I hope to complete another couple of hundred in the next week. And most of the people that ordered only a commentator playset, that's already either to you or in process. About half the people that ordered a bloody variant alone, that's either to you or in process. The other half is going to be done over the next seven to ten days. Then I'm going to tackle the people that ordered one of each because now i got the bigger boxes. And that'll probably take a couple of weeks because there's a lot of you guys. And then if you ordered a figure and something else, have multiple items, then that's going to be... So it's uh, over the next four good weeks, if I don't take a shower a lot, I'm going to have time to do this. We're going to get these out. But... If you want to order something else from jimcornette.com, there is very little waiting because of the Featherbottom trademark, Featherbottom assembly line process, where we can get the other items besides the figures out more quickly. But thank you, Christopher in the UK, for testifying about your good experience. It's always nice to hear from the, from the customers out there, from the people. Sounded fake. Right? What? Christopher in England putting over the feather bottoms. That was written by a feather bottom. That sounded fake. Well, no, I'll have you know the feather bottoms are of English descent. They, as a matter of fact, they have furniture that goes back to Louis the Fourteenth. They can't pay for it, but also they were their ancestors <laughs> were born in England. So you that got right? that going for you. All right, <laughs> they got that going anyway. for you. Um, well, hold on. We've got, and this is a serious email. So just let me jerk a knot in your tail for a second there, Brian last, as mama Cornette used to say, somebody had never heard that before jerk. I'll jerk a knot in his tail. Anyway, this is from Frank and Carrie Ann from St. Louis. Um, uh, Jim and Brian, I guess is implied huge fan of the show. I wanted to let you know that we had to put down our beautiful, sweet Maltese Sally. She had cancer and it was time for her to go. Sally loved the mud, but hated bullshit mud shows. To lift our spirits, we've been watching a ton of stone cold mud hole stomping people in honor of her love of mud. The show always makes me laugh. And you know, my wife and I are perfect for each other because I like the inside of the pizza with the toppings and she likes the bones. Frank and Carrie Ann from St. Louis, and we're, we're sorry about Sally, obviously, but she's playing in mud somewhere. Um, and also, wait a minute, more positive note. <clears throat> Got brand new copy paper. This is from Jason in Lynchburg, Virginia. I uh, just wanted to say thanks to both you and Brian for hours of top-notch entertainment. I listen to both shows weekly as well as enjoy your Twitter page, especially when you put a trumper or an asshole in their place. I didn't know there was any differentiation. Jason goes on to say, I'm having an upcoming neck disc replacement surgery Ooh. on April the 22nd on my C5, C6, C7, and C8. So apparently all four of those getting replaced. Uh, he says, I'm fairly young, 39. And just wanted a few words of encouragement to help get through it. Thanks for all you do, Jim. And, of course, again, Brian is implied. You're in there somewhere. Uh, Jason, I mean, good luck. What? It, by God, what day? It was yesterday. Or day before. When was this? When is the 22nd? Regardless, you may be undergoing this right now. In which case, you better not be able to hear us. But hopefully when you wake up and 
and catch up with the podcasts, um, you will feel better. That's encouraging, isn't it, Brian? That is. And just remember, the doctor will only mess up if he is really bad or really drunk. That's true. And remember, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago when my neck was bothering me. I said, well, if everything else is good except my neck, it really just props my head up. You can live without a functioning neck, I guess. Just don't turn back and forth too often. How many vertebrae did he say he was having fused? Four. Wow. Five through nine. No, replaced. Replaced, excuse rather me. Than fused. Wow. I don't know. The, I wouldn't be able to replace a, a disc break or a neck disc or any kind of disc. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be undergoing that or doing that procedure. I don't know how. Hey, can I ask so you a question? Sure Go ahead. Before the Attitude Era, to use that to sum up that whole period of time, and Steve Austin, and then after that Edge, and various guys, was there ever someone whose career ended because of a neck injury pre-1995? I mean, I'm, oh. sure there, I'm sure there is, but like in America, in the territory days, did anyone's career end specifically because of, of a neck injury in the ring? I'm trying to think. Eddie Gilbert had a bad neck that he learned to work around, but that was from a car wreck in WWF when he first went there in the early 80s. And then, of course, obviously, you know, wrestling, I'm sure didn't do it any good, but he worked around it. But that's why he didn't snap his neck a lot. Um, I'm trying to remember... Somebody that even had neck surgery that I ever heard about, much less that career was ended. <sighs> I mean, guys blew knees and, you know, there were broken arms and broken legs or ankles. Um, it's crazy how many careers didn't end in the period of time before modern medical science, where you could do all these surgeries. You know, athletes in baseball and basketball, you would see some of them retire young because of elbow or knee injuries, but you never really saw that in wrestling. No, well, and, and a lot of times football players would, you know, mess their knees up in football, but still be able to wrestle because, I mean, people who have played football, and I haven't, but uh, they have said it's completely different explosiveness in the knee when you're taken off from the, you know, line or whatever the fuck and wrestling, you can work around it. If you still, you got bad knees, you got bad knees. Ernie Ladd still ended up with bad knees, but football players can wrestle better, um, you know, with knee issues than they can play football. But, um, no, that, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of guys were in pain and, or if they'd had, proper insurance, medical care, modern science, whatever, there would have at least been people saying, well, you need to have something done. But the the surgeries that have gone on over the last 20 years is unlike anything of the previous 50 or more put together. I mean, I wonder why. There's no way to tell. Absolutely no way to figure this out. Why people would be more prone to injury and and more prone to serious injury than now than when they wrestled to work with each other and make the people believe what they were doing was legitimate instead of wowing them with car crashes. Does that answer your question? That was a very good answer to my excellent question. Can you think of anybody? 
I'm trying to think of all the 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 greats and near. I mean, Ray Stevens. Uh, the big injuries that he had were racing motorcycles and various things. After the broken leg, they said he was never the same, but he was still one of the best in the business because he was so much better before. Harley Race had innumerable joint issue with knees and elbows and his kneecap being in pieces and elbows being in pieces, but and the bad neck, but it he made it through his career and then it accumulated afterwards. And look at all the shit he did. I just, you know. Anyway, it's uh, we'll see what maybe, maybe that's the thing. Maybe they've gone the wrestling business now that all the modern fans and some of the modern wrestlers are so glad that everything's not horrible and awful and nasty like it was in the territory days or even in the attitude era. No, they don't try to kayfabe people anymore and they don't go out and take drugs all the time. They just paralyze themselves and have rep parts replaced and in their careers in their thirties. It's a whole new day. It is an interesting, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the idea that for people who argue that no matter what, every generation of wrestling is going to complain about the next generation, that they're doing too much, they take too many bumps, whatever it may be, too many high spots. No matter what, it's always going to keep happening. The idea that maybe there is a wall, and the wall is when people are actually getting fucking hurt and needing all these kind of surgeries or having to walk away from wrestling really young, whether at the independent level, where it's more of a problem, or at the mainstream level, it's an interesting discussion. At the, at the circus, when they invented the circus, and then they invented the trapeze artist, right? And the big trapeze finale was the guy would swing from one and do a complete backflip and grab the other one. And then somebody figured out how to do two backflips. And that was the big finale. And somebody figured out how to do three backflips. And that was the finale. And then some motherfucker comes along for the biggest circus in the world, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, and the big top. And does four fucking flips. And then what you've done is now everybody can do a flip. And the people kind of, huh? And two flips. Well, that's normal. And three flips. Yeah, they're getting somewhere. Four flips. Yay. So now to get any more response, somebody's got to do five flips. But sooner or later, the trapeze artist figures out that there is a limit to human capacity to do a number of flips and grab that other thing on the other side and not fall and, and fucking bust your keister. And it, and that probably ain't going to change because Secretariat was the fastest in our lifetimes, maybe in the future when, you know, genetic engineering, but Secretariat was the fastest horse of all time. We haven't got that in 50 years. So... Uh, but you know what, Brian, if the guy doing the five flips on the trapeze, if he's just, and now here he is, the trapeze guy, then he's got to do the five flips to get the pop. But if it's internationally renowned trapeze star, Johan von Hindenburg, <laughs> and you know him, and he's got a fucking, yo, Johan von Hindenburg. And you know the guy, and he's got a fan base, and he you've heard him speak on television like Gunther Gable Williams or Evil Knievel. Then 
he'll figure out a way because you already care about that individual person to where he'll make it look like he has trouble doing the two flips and then he nails it and you cheer and he's got you into him instead of how many flips is this nameless, faceless, unknown, anonymous motherfucker going to do? You know, in a sense, it's figuring out how to utilize whatever star power you have and whatever charisma you have and crowd reaction to do as little as possible. I mean, Lawler was the master of that. I'm not saying go all the way yeah. to that level where you're just walking around ringside for 20 minutes yes. and you take one bump and the match is over. That's For me, that's not what I want. And the um, building is full and the people go crazy, though. Right. When he does it. <laughs> but like even the punk matches, it's kind of true. He doesn't do too much. He looks like he's really overexerting himself. He's all sweaty. He's struggling. He's selling his knee. But he's not doing anything stupid, so he can't walk the next day or come back the next week. It's the art. It's the, it's the psychological art of human chess rather than the tumbling and the trampoline. That's what, and the more they're interested in you as a person, the more they're going to be interested in what you do rather than how dangerous it is. You but know, as a matter of fact, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I always thought, and I never know if you will, but I always thought you would enjoy a lot of baseball books because of the parallels to wrestling. And one of the things you know, I'm thinking as we're talking about this is like a young pitcher that comes up. You know, nowadays, when they scout pitchers, it's like wrestling. WWE is looking for one kind of person, typically. In baseball, most scouts are looking for someone who's like 6'3 and has a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. That's it. The 5'8 guy with the amazing changeup is going to get overlooked a lot because the 6'3 guy with the fastball is what every other team is looking for. But it's... Once you get into your 30s, once you have an arm injury, once you are really good and you have none of that and you just figure out you don't have to throw as hard as you can each time. You can play games with the mind of the batter. You can use your pitches and if you have control, you can decide what you do. You, it becomes you're playing chess on the mound. That's what a yeah. Tom Seaver was able to do. And in wrestling, it's, you know, you're young, you do everything you can in the ring. You don't know any better, especially nowadays. And you would hope that as you learn you realize you don't have to do as much and you could still have a great match. We talk about that Hogan-Rock match that we reviewed and we really liked. They didn't do a lot, <laughs> but they did enough and it was right. And it's what the people thought they would do. So that's, you know, you're, when you can fulfill the people's expectations because they know what you would do as a person, as an individual, rather than just some anonymous wrestling match, that's when you know you're over. And speaking of people who may or may not be over and all of the stuff that we were talking about with the, maybe they'll learn a little experience. Our friend, Sammy, the lunatic that's going to jump off the roof of the building and paralyze himself one of these days or fracture himself into grease and, and his, his little girl tie. There's an email from, and I, I don't know whether this is his actual real name or not, but the email is from no name. I find that a little surprising that a mother would have named their child that, but nevertheless. Is there a hyphen or anything? Is it no namey? <clears throat> no, it's just no name. No name at such and such email address. Anyway, hi, Jim. And of course, Brian, apparently, will be implied again. I'm writing because I heard now a few times you stated the fans turned on Ty and Sammy 
just because they're jealous of the relationship. And as someone who sees what AEW fans are, yeah, that's probably a big part of it. But there's more context. For starters, Sammy just isn't likable as a babyface, and Ty isn't likable at all. Okay. Then factor in Sammy allegedly ending his engagement to be with Ty. Remember the aforementioned proposal on TV last fall? Yeah, it was on TV, yeah. Yeah, and that, what was that girl's name? Myrtle? <laughs> it was not Myrtle. So, <laughs> and then Ty ending her marriage to be with Sammy. Who was she married to? See, you can tell how much I care about these people's personal Mr. lives. Mr. Conti, I guess. I have Mr. No Conti. <laughs> Did he used to run a coffee company? Sounds like a car dealership. Mr. Conti's Ford and Chevy. Yeah, anyway, well, uh, Mr. Conti split from Mrs. Conti uh, to be with Sammy, and or, you know, however I should have said that. And that raises some flags, too. But the biggest reason no name goes on I've seen is the whole belt fiasco. Honestly, I'm surprised Jim didn't hate what they did more, considering how angry he was about the page leaks years ago. While that was stolen from her and happened years prior, Sammy and Ty are supposed baby faces saying they did that stuff on the title on TV. I guess on the belt on TV. On the so, title. He said on the title. Well, did this say the email says no name says did that stuff on the title on TV. See, that's how Vince wins. He gets these people. He gets everyone to and use yeah. his work and taking suggestive pictures with it and posting it on social media. OK, so that he's talking about the belt. And remember, we talked about all I saw was a picture of them lounging in bed in their no. birthday suits or close to it. And one of them, I can't remember whether it was Sammy or Ty had the belt strategically placed and I was well a little candid photography well you, know. you missed the segment remember it was one of the segments that you were just like you know what I didn't need to see this I fast forwarded where Sammy and Ty got confronted by Lambert who was wearing one of the TNT titles that Scorpio Sky gave to him one of the belts you mean one of the belts yeah uh, see now I'm doing it what the fuck and he gave it a kiss and then they said that well thank you you kiss where I splooged basically Ah. It was on TV. I mean, before the photo was even leaked or leaked, put out there, whatever the fuck leaked. they did. It was in the New York dribbled, Post. I read it on the New York dripped. Post website. It was leaked, dribbled, or dripped out. <laughs> One or the other, that photo. I'd, I'm a fuck it. But now, okay, I don't know how this company works or how far ahead they work. I assume it's by the seat of their pants and on 15 seconds notice. because. But obviously, Sammy and Ty would not have done that a few weeks ago had they not known they were going to be actually legitimately switching heels, heel, because at that point they were still baby faces. Or were the or would they have known then? Or did they just go out and make these statements and their natural heat gettingness, Ty Conti's She's got the greatest heel female face in wrestling. She's the ultimate bitch face. You just look, any expression she makes gets heat with people. And do you so think they just, the same thing about him? Well, yeah, now that he's especially gone too far and then they're, you know, doing the anteater tongues with each other. So was this, was this planned from the start or did Tony just say, well, Fuck, even I'm fucking pissed at these guys and the fans are booing them, so let's switch them heel. What what happened here? What was the order of events? 
I think Tony Khan probably noticed what we talked about on the air because it was something you couldn't ignore, which was fans turned on Sammy and Ty, and there's, hey, this building is booing these people for a night, and there's, this is indicative of a bigger <laughs> audience move that doesn't want these people this way or wants to treat them as heels. And again, I think Sammy, and I said this from the beginning of AEW, and he's proved it, although now a babyface, or had been, he should be one of the top heels there, or he should be building towards that, especially if he's going to be with her. They're an amazing heel yeah. couple. Yes. But the segment on Dynamite this week, which we'll talk about during Dynamite, it just raises so many questions. Because then, is Lambert the face? He can't be the face. <laughs> But he was, but he was dressing him. We're going to talk about this on the review. But he was dressing him down like he was an angry parent, and and everybody could agree with everything he said. So how is he the heel? I don't. What the? <laughs> the most hated people, or at least most booed at people in the company, suddenly are the voices of reason when the previous babyface and his new paramour uh, are. Out of control. We'll talk about AEW later, I guess. Yeah, I think also a lot of AEW fans, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's probably a pretty nice segment of that audience that pays attention to social media and you see their behavior on social media. And again, what's babyface? Unless you're like his best friend, you're like, yeah, he's having a good time. I'm happy for him. What's babyface about any of it? Do you think that these kids are just idiots and don't know that they're influencing how people think about them in opposition to the way that they're being portrayed on television when they act naturally, when they just be themselves and they're nothing like the people that they're supposed to be on television. They're really just annoying twats. Sometimes they're supposed to be annoying twats on television and then it's okay. But otherwise, um, speaking of television, would you like some statistics? Tony Khan's a big numbers guy, right? He liked to play the numbers when he was a kid. Well, what he's a statistics guy. Not he doesn't play the numbers, or at least not. Yeah, he didn't play the numbers out, outside the. <laughs> well, he's the, from Chicago. Uh, now outside the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club. Of, well, no, was, no, no, no. That's all Hollywood. Let's not. <laughs> it never really happened. No, no. Um, this is an email from Chris. Chris, as a matter of fact, Chris, don't call me Tiger Tasker, from Leeds, Yorkshire. Um. Hello there, Jim. And of course, <laughs> hello, Brian. Also, Hello, everyone. Yeah, hello. <laughs> While my wife was putting our son to bed Monday night, I took the opportunity to look a little deeper into what was a prilly, prilly, pretty shallow WrestleMania main event. Below are my findings that make grim reading for any fans of professional wrestling's grandest stage. Because a lot of people do statistics, Brian, on on WrestleMania, on the the gate and the uh, attendance and whether they're, it's real or manufactured, the merchandise statistics, the how many matches so-and-so's won, a streak, whatever. But this is just analyzing the statistics on this year's big WrestleMania, the biggest main event in the history of WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, right? It's not very often that we get an email that says, below are my findings. So yes. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> about this. I, you, we usually get that from plumbers and septic tank people. <laughs> That's right. Um, 
The match lasted 12 minutes, 25 seconds. The entrances lasted 11 minutes, 32 seconds, meaning the match itself lasted only 53 seconds longer than the entrances. Wow. After 1 minute, 21 seconds of the match, Brock Lesnar hit his first belly-to-belly suplex. From that point on, discounting the nut shot and the shot with the belt by Roman Reigns, only six different moves were used in the rest of the match. They were as follows. Three consecutive belly-to-belly suplexes, five consecutive German suplexes, five spears, three Superman punches, a Kimura armbar, and an F5. Aside from a tackle, a shoulder tackle, and the nut and belt shots, the only offense that Roman Reigns performed in the entire match were the five spears and three Superman punches. Not a headlock, not a fucking armbar, not a not a Dick Murdoch elbow to the back of the head skull buster kind of thing. No. So that... That's the formula. That's what they did with Goldberg. Go back. I'm sure if this guy ran the stats on that Goldberg match when they brought Goldberg back and he surprised everyone by beating Lesnar for the title, it's the same match. I mean, it was shorter, but it's just... If you make it based around a few moves that Brock does, and I think the suplexes, for me, it gets a little boring when it takes a little time in between them and he's just wandering around. But it's the same formula for Brock matches. Heyman's figured it out. But how long can you uh, can you cook that stew before people get tired of it because there's not a lot of ingredients? Like a pay-per-view a or two. A pay-per-view or two, and then you got to mix it up or he has to go away. He has to go away. Speaking of go away, I know something that ha- here on the program that's had go-away heat with you for some time now. I don't know why, because it's very popular with the people, the cult of Cornette. Of course, we've had the the male outlook, the female outlook. We've changed up certain wordings, the various why is my's, the why is my lists on the Google machine. And as we said, we've changed up the the question a little bit or the wording a little bit and had, but now we have an expert weighing in. Would you like to hear who this man's credentials, Brian? No, would I would you not, like to? I would not like to hear any of this or this man's. Who's this? An expert? An expert in an what? An expert in what? An ex- I'm about to tell you. If you'd let me get it out of my neck. So you were the only expert in this. Why is my category that this no, subgenre no, that, that you have championed? We've called in a professional here. This is Dan from London, England. Dan, Dan, the Google man, and he says, <laughs> "Hi, J- what?" Is that his name, Dan Dan That's the Google Man? Dan Dan the Google Man. That's his company. He's the CEO. And he <laughs> says, hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Yeah. It's right up there next to hygiene. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people are leaving you out today. My job, my job, J-O-B, what he does for a living, he's an expert at. My job involves getting websites to rank in the top positions of search results when people look for things in Google. And therefore, he's a, he's a Googler. He's a professional Googler. And he says, he goes on, there is a tool called Google Trends that shows you the main things people around the world are searching for. 
And I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to look at what the most common why is my searches were in the United States over the last 12 months. Now, they're different all over the world. The people in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia or the island of Malta or Liechtenstein may have different questions or concerns than people over here. <clears throat> but Dan says that these are the top 12 answers in the entire United States over the last 12 months for the question, why is my? And we're going to go as we have been. And somebody got on me, said, well, you're blowing the bit. You give number one first. They're supposed to go. That's the way Letterman does it. I do it this way. Because that way, if by five or six, they're not any good, we'll just blow the whole thing off. Right? Right. I'd love to blow this whole thing you off. Why don't sick. we just go You're right? Not... Why don't we just go right to the reviews? Or to the wrestling? No, I'm stalling as long as possible. Number one, the ultimate. Why is my list from Dan in London, England? Number one, why is my poop green? This is the most concerning thing to people in the United States of America over the last 12 months and got on to Google. We've talked about poop at, at length here on the program, but it's, it's very popular. You have. The poop is popular these days. It pops in and out everywhere. You got poop popping in, popular poop popping in. It should be prohibited. <laughs> What's number two? <laughs> number two. <laughs> Just let me ramble, and ramble until I get there somewhere. <laughs> number two. Why is my eye twitching? That's the second biggest problem people got in the United States of America. Twitching eyes. They want to know the answer. Number three. Now, I will agree this <laughs> one is one I would, I would rank high on this list, possibly higher than the previous two. Why is my period late? Now, I wouldn't be asking that question, but I would rank it higher in importance than the other things we've mentioned if somebody else was asking that question on my behalf. Why didn't you stay awake in health class? No, that's number 16. Oh. Number four, why is my dog shaking? You don't I can see the that program, one. do you, people? That one makes the sense. The dog is shitting peach seeds. Stop it. <laughs> that's why the dog is shaking. Well, we've covered this. That information was out there. Wasn't hard to come, come across that. Just like the TNT title belt or whatever. Um, oh, come on. Number five, <laughs> why is my poop black? Now, see, black poop is five spots below green poop because it's more just, I get black is not that far from brown. But when you turn green, but as we mentioned, if you've had a birthday cake recently, the blue food coloring, when you mix blue and brown, you often get green. And that's a, a sign of those things. Number six. A, uh, a a sponsor that we often have but don't today could help with this. Why is my hair falling out? The hair falling out. Why is your hair falling out, Brian? My hair isn't falling out. I've been blessed. Eat your heart out, Chris Jericho. <clears throat> Number seven. Why is my throat sore? I think we answered that one at the top of the show. 
Yeah, well, and also that could be any number of reasons. That's not really a question you should be asking. That's, you know. Number eight, why is my eye red? So you got red eyes, you got a sore throat, your hair falling out, your poop is black and green, your period is late, your eye is twitching, and your dog is even shaken. You got some serious issues. Uh-oh, but wait. As a result of all these cumulative problems before, number nine is why is my dog throwing up? Possibly because the dog was previously shaking and you didn't do anything about it. Yeah, how about call the vet? Get off the fucking computer and call the doctor. Get off the computer, call the, call the doctor. Number 10. Now this one, we don't know the extent of this condition as to whether they should just go on the internet or call the doctor, but why is my skin peeling? If it's just flaking and kind of dry, then I can see getting on a computer. But if it's actually, if you're just peeling wholesale pieces of flesh off of your body, I think maybe the urgent care would be more suitable in trying to look this up. Have you ever peeled any part of your body off? Well, I mean, after you have a suntan, your skin will peel. I mean, do you just sit there and just pull and just pull big, massive strips? No. Anything I, off? And, you know, skin grows pretty quickly. If I had that ability, I'd take it on the road. You'd know if I had that ability. Well, there you go. Cap Captain Stretcho. Number 11. Why is my refund taking so long? It depends. Who did you ask for it? Is it the IRS or is it Amazon? What the fuck? Some of these things take longer than others. Why are you asking the internet instead of the people you asked for the refund, right? Right. And maybe try direct deposit instead of uh, waiting for a check. Well, now don't go too far. You know, I don't trust things like that. You don't trust? I want to I see that piece of paper in my hand with somebody's official signature on it, even if it's from a stamp. I don't know what you, what you want people to just tell you they've sent money to your account instead of sending it to you right there where you can put it in your hand and look at it and endorse the back of it and fill out a deposit slip and take it to another legitimate, experienced, authoritative adult who will take possession of it and credit your account accordingly? I'm not really good with authoritative adults. I'd just rather have direct deposit. Let's make this simple. I want to go over to the bank to the drive-thru and put the, the check the or the documents or whatever. Well, the drive-thru, yeah. of course. And put I've it seen in the, you at the, the drive-thru. Those poor people the at the tube. bank. And then the, 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 the drive-thru lady at the bank, we're very good friends. We see each other once or twice a week. And she says, hello, how are you? And I tell her what I'm doing. And she talks to me about what she's doing. And then she processes everything accordingly. I can't get that same level of, pleasant, friendly customer service by going on the interweb and just willy-nilly typing some shit in. I don't even know that a human being on the other end of it read it. However, the question wasn't, what is the best way to get my refund? It is, where is my refund? And if you're trying to solve that, a quicker way to get the refund may be to sign up with the IRS for direct deposit. Well, the question wasn't, where is my refund? It's, why is my refund taking so long? Ah. So there's a Same whole difference. different kettle of fish. Okay. How many more kettles are there? And number 12, the <laughs> final one. <laughs> there it is. The final, why is my, the ultimate, why is my list, why is my car shaking? 
Not just their dog, but their car is shaking, Brian. Why is my car shaking? This could be dangerous. I've never had this problem. I didn't know so many people have. Well, they have. It's, that's because that's the number 12 most popular why is my search in the United States over the entire 12-month period, the last 12 months. And I can tell you the reason for this. The reason for this is quite simple. Your car is shaking because the piece of shit is about to break down. And you need to do something about it. Either preventive maintenance or fixing something that's brokeified. And the way you do that is by logging on your trusty internet. Don't go to Google. Go to rockauto.com. Whether you need engine control modules, brake parts, or crankshaft defibrillators, whatever you need for your car, truck, boat, plane, train, steamship, or motorized conveyance, the folks at rockauto.com can find it for you and bring it to you. Well, send it to you. They're not going to bring it, but they'll send it. Because they've got all that stuff back on that South Pacific island that they're headquartered on where they have taken over the entire place and they have stocked it with every auto part in the history of auto parts, just waiting for you to need that thing for a 1929 Bentley. They've got it. Whatever you need, they got. So they may not have that specific part and there is no South Pacific Island. They are here in the United States and they're ready to help all the listeners. Are they out of stock on the Bentley parts again? Well, but they, they'll have all the stuff for the Fiats and the Kias and the Fords and the right. Chevys and the, the DeLoreans and the things like that. So anyway, DeLorean. Uh, you've got to repair and you got to maintain your cars, folks, because they take you everywhere you go, except if you walk. And who wants to walk when you can drive? So you got to take care of these things. And that's why rockauto.com can save you money when you do it. As we mentioned, just go to the catalog. It's unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can see all the parts available. Choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer, except for free. They get mad when you suggest you prefer free. They want you to pay something, just not much. And they're the same prices for pros and do-it-yourselfers. And when you go to rockauto.com and see all those parts, find that little box that says, how did you hear about us? And write J-C-E-N. You will get absolutely dick all of nothing off because the prices are already cheap, but at least they'll know that you're on the right side. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, so it won't be shaking. RockAuto.com Maybe Nakamura could go to RockAuto.com and stop shaking. Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. Maybe his fucking crank belt is off-whistle. All right, and regardless of who's shaking or why... This is what's shaking right now. This next email from another listener from Fred in some unknown place. And he doesn't even say, Dear Jim. He just titles it Message Through 70s Eyes. Heel turns then and now. He says, 40 plus years ago, Larry Zabisco was a likable babyface who revered the person who trained him to be a wrestler. He then turned on his mentor who also happened to be a godlike figure in the profession by challenging him to a presumably scientific match and then carrying out a heinous attack with a chair that left the beloved hero battered and bloody. He was hated with passion by fans for years thereafter. In the present day, 
Chris Jericho was a likable babyface who sung his cringeworthy song as he walked to the ring, had a mimosa mayhem match with a mascot, and was locked up in a heated feud with a hated heel built up by the two doing a song and dance routine together. So what did he do to consummate his heel turn? He changed his gimmick to that of being a sports entertainer. The lesson learned from roller derby remains. It's better to burn out than it is to rust. What do you think, Brian? Kind of sums it up. Kind of sums it up. Always happy to hear a reference to roller derby on the show. Well, we try. You know, uh, we're going to cut the jam off here in a minute, though. Uh, and lastly, this email provokes a bit of discussion, I believe, on the classic wrestling. Uh, it's from Michael. Uh, apparently, because of his email address, he lives in Nashville. Jim. Well, and 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 you, Brian. Whatever. Yeah, I have a question. I had heard if you became NWA world champion, you had to put up a $25,000 deposit for the title belt in case something happened to it. In parentheses, fire, lose it, it gets damaged, etc. What about the other belts like the tag team titles, U.S. title, North American title, etc.? Were you required to put up such a deposit to get the belt and cover it in case something happened? Or were you just given the title? What were the different promotions, rules, and policies toward care and possession of the titles? <clears throat> and what was Jarrett's, Watts, Fritz, Von Erichs, and Crockett's rules and policies toward you having the various title belts in your possession? And what would happen, say you lost a belt like the airlines losing it or some other reason? And do you know of any situation of any champion losing or having his championship belt damaged? There's a lot in there. And it's, it's I, I again, we laugh at some of the questions because it's so hard to explain because it's actually in some cases inexplicable how things worked in the territory days and etc but let's cover the nwa title belt first as it has been mentioned in the, the fine book by tim hornbaker on the national wrestling alliance as well as the buddy rogers biography also wrote and this story is out that when you were chosen to become the nwa world champion you were required to put up a deposit with the National Wrestling Alliance office against the against the the belt but it it wasn't the belt per se it was the title it was the championship it was the idea that when your time has come and your run as champion is over you will do a job to someone that we pick to pass the title belt to them so you weren't really putting a deposit. The belt was symbolic, as we've talked about. The, the, the title is different than a belt. Belt is the symbol, symbolic of the title or championship that you hold. But what they were worried about, the NWA in those days, was pushing a guy as the world champion of their organization, which covered most of the country and different places around the world, and him being presented, which at the time he was, especially before the AWA or the WWWF, as the greatest wrestler in the world, that somebody at some point might decide they didn't want to fucking lose that. They didn't want to lose a match. They, when there was time for somebody else to take over because of business, the promoters had voted, whatever the case, that is sort of like maybe, now that I'm thinking about this, they ought to make the President of the United States put up a hell of a deposit 
said next election, if you lose, get the hell out of Dodge or you forfeit your fucking bond. But anyway, so it was the idea of making them lose the belt, but more importantly, making them lose the championship, passing the number one position on to another wrestler. That's what the NWA world champions deposit was. Have I uttered that somewhat correctly, Brian, to where people may now understand what the deal was with that? It wasn't just about the belt. It was about the idea of you're the champion. Yes, I think you've explained it pretty uh, pretty well there. But again, the question was about beyond the NWA world title, well, but the other belts. Well, and, and hold on a second here, because there's some, there's also, he mentioned a $25,000 deposit. That was what Flair put up. Because in, in, and I'm not sure what his original deposit was in 1981, but in 1986, when Crockett got the big gold belt made that replaced the domed globe, it actually legitimately cost God damn it, it's been 35 years. But what did I say? It was all it was almost 30 grand then, right? The cost of the belt. And so he put up the $25,000 deposit that was the figure at that time. And that was never returned because when T when Crockett sold to Turner and everybody was still together, it was just wasn't thought of. And the NWA was a separate entity, but really. WCW was kind of it. And then they got sideways with the NWA. And then point is when Flair took the belt to the WWF in what, 1991? Was it two? 1991, summer of 91. Summer of 91. That great Brian Adams song. The legal standing that he had and claimed and the reason why it was in dispute was because since his deposit had never been returned, he claimed ownership of the belt. And the court finally decided, correct me if I'm wrong, that he had to get his money back, Flair did, but that he had to return the belt. Is that pretty much the way it happened? I believe so. So that was $25,000 in 1986. That equals today $65,000. But that was... <laughs> And and I'm not, to be quite honest, Jim Crockett paid certain other things for Flair over the period of time that he worked there. I'm not sure that maybe Crockett might not have put up any deposit that Flair had to put up for the first time he won the title, the first belt in 81. Well, he sponsored but, Flair for the, to be the champion, didn't he? Yeah. So and, I'm sure you know, and, I would put money, actually, you're probably right. He probably did put money up for Flair. Well, and remember the same thing happened, did it not, with Lou Thez and Sam Muchnick in 1963 when Thez was semi-retired and Muchnick asked him to come back to work full-time and take the belt from Buddy Rogers because of the problems with Rogers being booked by Vince Sr. and the NWA promoters getting frozen out on a lot of dates. Thez said, hey, you're, you're calling me and asking me to come and do this. Because, you know, I'm the only one that can if he don't want to. So Muchnick, I believe, put up Thez's deposit in that instance. And remember, there was also a situation where to get the champion's booking fee and the NWA's percentages and everything from Rogers out of Vince Sr. Um, did not Muchnick have to threaten Vince and or Buddy Rogers with hey, your bond is going to charity <laughs> unless 
all these and 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 to get the belt off of him also when he'd been injured and didn't want to do the job and blah 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 so that everything came together Tim Hornbaker has a lot of those papers actually yeah but they held Rogers' $10,000 deposit at the time this was 1963 or he put it up in 61 when he won it um $10,000 today equals $96,000. And honestly, I'm not surprised that that would be worth more money than the bond was in 1986 because still in those days, and I believe the bond in some cases, especially earlier back in the uh, Gold Dust Trio days and the days of the Fall Guys, whatever arrangements were made, it was for a lot more money because double crosses were prevalent. There was a chance as a guy could go to a rival promoter and and take the reputation of being the world champion with him. So the value of the world championship in wrestling was at its height, actually, in relative to, you know, society in every other way. Back in the 30s, when the Strangler Lewises and the Jim Londoses and the people that were figured in were doing ballpark crowds and getting, you know, half of the gate for for being there. And it's kind of, it went downhill as more champions proliferated, as, you know, the whole business became more fragmented. And also, the question was, what happened if a fire? That's never happened. And I got news for you. The NWA world champion, if there'd been a fire, he'd have run out of his hotel room naked, but carrying the belt if he had to. That'd cover just about anybody. There have been a few belts. Remember Bruno Sammartino when he had the WWF belt, the original one that that they got him made after he won what he won Johnny Barron's U.S. title from Buddy Rogers from in the Buddy. Garden, and, and then they got <clears throat> an actual belt made for their company. It was 1965 or so. After a Garden show, he went to eat in New York at an Italian restaurant, and the belt was in his bag in the car, in the trunk, or wherever, and when he came out, it was broken into, and his bag was stolen. That made the news of, of what, seven years later, Pedro Morales under, do you know the story of exactly what fucking brought him to think that pawning the WWF championship belt in a pawn shop in the Northeast was a good idea. Well, Tom Burke was the one who discovered it and purchased it. And he yes. told me when I asked him that question that he was told that, I think the exact quote was, PD loved the horses. And ah. that maybe Pedro spent a little bit or lost a little too much gambling and that caused the pawning of the world championship belt. <laughs> the world tag team titles for Crockett, we've talked about Rick Rude and Manny Fernandez when they left. They took those with them. But Crockett had had those tag team belts since the mid-70s. Nikita Mokovich made them, the guy who made a lot of the belts before Reggie Parks. Uh, with the territory belts. You didn't have to put up a deposit because everybody you were working your full-time job in that territory. And if they had enough faith in you to put the belt on you, then they had enough faith in you to carry it around. Sometimes that came back to bite a promoter in the ass. There's been numerous stories over the dozens of territories and dozens of decades of guys getting mad at the promoter or the booker because they felt they got screwed on money, took off without dropping the belt. But again, the investment in the actual belt 
in those days was negligible. When I got the Smoky Mountains belts made from Reggie Parks in 1992, they were like 1500 bucks a piece. So 20 years beforehand, if you gave a good belt maker 500 bucks, 750 bucks, and then still we've talked about how cheap some of the territories were. Jerry Jarrett wouldn't spend a fucking dime on a title belt. They used that Southern Junior Heavyweight title belt from 1952 when the tournament happened and, and retired it in 1976. And, you know, every once in a while, when champions, even on, even regional champions, the NWA champion would never check the belt on an airplane. Flair came on the plane with one thing in each hand, a brush for his hair in one hand. I'm and afraid the fucking, of what's in the other one. Don't say it. No, the Halliburton with the fucking belt in the other one. And that, oh, I just got that now. Thank you. And, but that's, that's what it was, is you took the belt with you. And when uh, the Midnight Express were champions for any company, world-class or Crockett or Mid-South, I carried the belts on my carry-on bag if that counted in the car through airports, had them with me, whatever the fuck. Not all managers did that, but but we never checked them or left them out of our sight or except if they were in the locker room. But, you know, talk about damage. There was not a deposit on on any of the belts for damage because we talked Kerry Von Erich. When he won the NWA belt, the Dome Globe at Texas Stadium, he carved his initials in it. There's pictures in... Who Dick Bourne and those guys in Greensboro did the book on the belts, and there's close-up pictures of his KVR or KV, KV rather KVR. Von what the Kevin Kerry <laughs> Von Rick KVE. People said he was messed up, and one of the first signs was when he carved in the wrong initials yeah. on the NWA <laughs> belt. Anybody seen my dog? Um. <sighs> anyway, so. And then well, you had uh, something you said earlier. What the fuck was it? Oh, on Mid-South TV, they once had a close-up oh, of the yeah. North American belt, not the big one. When I say big, the gigantic one that was made in 84, but the old one that had been around for years. Like Waldo Von Erich and Bill Watts had worn it, etc. It went from McGurk to Mid-South Wrestling, and everyone, the Junkyard Dog, DiBiase, everyone had held it. Someone at some point carved the word stooge into it. Saying <laughs> that that probably wasn't the the holder of that championship at the time. It was probably a commentary from somebody else in the locker room on whoever held. But you know, but they're not going to change the belt for that. They're just ah, nobody will see it. That's a ballsy move, though, because you're not just doing it to the wrestler who is or may is a, is at least accused of being the stooge. You're doing it to the office when you damage the belt, right? Well, I don't know if they did it out in the middle of the ring in front of God and everybody on videotape. There's, there's been no story about that. Maybe it was very surreptitious. I'm surprised there isn't a Watts memo, like, tension. <laughs> Do not carve anything into the belts. <laughs> but again, here, we, we've talked about this before. We're, we're, we're putting all these things in one little clip here where everybody can digest it. But you know, it, it was, yes, it was on the honor system and responsibility. And you didn't, in a territory, you didn't want to fuck up and lose their belt. You might lose your job. You might get fired or they'd fucking take it out of your fucking pay or whatever. When you were the world champion, the belt was very precious to you because it was the thing that symbolized that you were the, 
number one talent in the business and, and one of the one or two or three most highly paid guys, depending on the era, whether it's around with Andre or Gorgeous George, whatever the fuck. But at the same time, the world title meant more it, the territories. If somebody walked out without, you know, uh, uh, dropping the belt to somebody, they do. Well, the, imagine this, the title changed hands last week in Bluefield, West Virginia. We don't have any tape, but here's the new champion. And, and here are the road warriors. Yeah. And here are the, <laughs> and sometimes a guy w- would, would leave, but he would return the belt because he didn't, that's another thing. You can get sideways with, you know, Bob Geigel in Kansas City and Don Owens in Portland may not have given a shit. But if you took Bob Geigel's belt, Don Owens, when you get to Portland for a new job, may may not be happy because you've just stolen another promoter's belt. So there was that kind of thing. So, yeah, you're allowed to there steal was, a promoter's plane, but not his belt. Well, and that's only if you're Sam Miniker. And then he was a silver tongue devil. But but that, you know, it, it, they could switch the title in a phantom match in the territories and, and it wouldn't create much stir. But for the world champion, you needed the lineage, you needed tape, you needed pictures, you needed proof. It was a big deal. So that's where the the various deposit came, deposits came in. And then, of course, they, I don't think they, they did that in the other companies because in the AWA, it was either Vern or somebody that was not only working for him, but one of his mainstays, Mad Dog Vashon, The Crusher, you know, Bachwinkle. In, uh, with Vince Sr., he put the thing on Bruno, and my God, the, the, Bruno was more important than the championship. So that was the least thing on his mind, I'm assuming, was, was Bruno going to take off with my title? And then they just never created the, the precedent for it. Did you ever have any problems with the belts in either Smoky Mountain or OVW? Uh, yes. Well, not at the time that they occurred or that they were being used, but afterwards. I'd actually, when when we folded up Smoky Mountain, Randy Hale still had some life left in the USWA and Smoky Mountain rivalry, right? Where some of the guys like the Heavenly Bodies, Tom Pritchard and Buddy Landell have been going over there and et cetera. And Randy had asked, well, can I go ahead and still do this deal with, I don't even know who he was doing the program with, but it involved Tommy Rich and I think maybe Buddy and somebody else over there. Can I use the heavyweight title belt, Smoky Mountain? I said, okay, go ahead. Just let me know when you're done with it, <clears throat> especially because I'm going to move to Connecticut. And some way or another, I can't remember whether I called him, he called me. I was about to either I was about to move or already had moved, but the point is I'm talking to him, Randy, where's my belt? Well, I think Tommy's got it. What? Tommy Rich. Well, what the fuck's he got it for? Can you get it back? Well, I don't know. Well, then come to find out from Buddy Landell, who was also involved in this, apparently Tommy took the Smoky Mountain title belt to a car dealership. Remember, I've talked about Classy Motors and the boss, Wayne. Yeah, they were sponsors. Yeah, whose real name wasn't Wayne. His name was Terry, but anytime anybody asked for Terry on the phone, he would say, he's not there, this is Wayne. And it was a whole thing. But anyway. Now, he's is he Judge Auto Dealer? 
No, that was that, that was the judge that worked for him. Okay, because <laughs> I yeah maybe the worst thing in Smoky Mountain history I got to sit there yes. for, which was the promo from Judge Auto Dealer, <laughs> Judge Auto Dealer of Classy Motors, where nobody walks away, they push. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> so. Tommy takes the belt over there to the car lot in West Knoxville, and Buddy's with him. And old Wayne said, because Tommy wasn't the Smoky Mountain champion, you know, the last that he heard, he didn't know what was going on in Memphis. So he said, well, I can't, because Tommy wanted to sell Wayne the belt. And Wayne said, well, this is what Buddy said. Wayne said, well, I can't buy it from you. You're not the real champion. So Tommy had Buddy lean backwards over the hood of a fucking car on the lot, and he covered him while still standing up and counted one, two, three, or whatever. Is it okay? Now I'm the champion. So Wayne bought the belt from Tommy Rich. By the time I found all this shit out, I was already in Connecticut. I thought, like, what the? You know what? Fuck it. Because I was kind of fed up at that point, but I wished I'd have had the belt. But as I'm not going all the way down there and through this and whatever. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know who won the pony? It wasn't. 1996 sounds like it would have been too soon, and 98 sounds too late. So I think it was 1997. I was doing some show, autograph deal, whatever, for Dennis Corluzzo. I believe it's it was somewhere in the Northeast. And it was around the time of my birthday or close enough for rock and roll that he could call it that. And he came out in front of everybody with a big box and said, I got a present for you. And I opened it up and there was a Smoky Mountain heavyweight championship belt because he had heard what happened. And unbeknownst to me, got from one of the boys or, you know, cause he knew all the Memphis guys that he would bring up for his shows, got from one of the boys, the information to how to get a hold of this guy yeah, and went buddy. down and bought the belt back. It had to be buddy. Cause buddy around that period of time. Yeah. I wasn't there the night he gave you the belt, but I was around and a part of a lot of things. And buddy was talking to Dennis all the time and he was even working for Dennis. Yeah. So, but anyway, so that's what Dennis did to pay me back and thank me for getting him talent, doing some other things and blah, blah, blah. So that's how I regained possession of the Smoky Mountain title belt after. And then t Tommy, in recent years, has tried to say, well, I, I called Jimmy and told him I had the belt, but he owed me $1,200. No, because if I owed Tommy Rich $1,200, he's a complete fucking idiot. That means he worked for me for almost a month without getting paid. <laughs> the fuck? If he had a check for the last weekend we work, I bet he got a check for $600 since that was four days that weekend, which was unusual. And if he couldn't cash it that week, he could pretty much cash it the week after. And I never got a bounce check off of Tommy. And I never heard from Tommy after we closed up on the phone or ever again until the next time I saw him years and years later. But he just wanted, but he had to tell people that so that he would justify himself in selling the belt to the boss of judge auto dealer but i got it back in the end and tommy i'm sure applied that fifteen hundred dollars or whatever he got or twelve hundred dollars to getting his new teeth that he has today so i'm happy for him what do you think would have happened if i mean in positive or negative in some way 
if Tommy Rich or any of the other guys that had worked for me had called me up and said, hey, I've got your belt and I'm going to sell it to a car dealer unless you give me $1,200. Well, I paid more than that for the belt. There would have either been violent mayhem or I'm sorry and I will fucking certainly pay you this money and bring my belt back. One or the other, but not, nah, go ahead, do what you need to do. <laughs> anyway, so that was that. You know, Brian, I'm telling you, these valuable things, valuable things, works of art, works of old masters, master craftsmen, whether it be Reggie Parks that made the belts, or even Nikita Malkovich, or whether it be the the great painters like the Van Goghs and the Monets. You always say his name Monet. Funny. It's Monet. That's not funny. That's the way you say it. Well, Monet, Monet, Tommy James. And anyway, the masterworks, the artworks, the things of value, the collector's items. You can't get these things anymore. That's why they're collector's items, because there's more people interested in having them than there are of those things to go around. I talked about my Amazing Fantasy 15, and not mine, but the perfect copy of a comic book just sold for $3 million last year, or last month, or whatever the fuck it was. $3 million because it's perfect, and there ain't that many, and a lot of people love Spider-Man. How many action comics number ones are there out there today? Enough to go around? I think not. So imagine when you have all these these painters, these masters from the Renaissance era and the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, the 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 all the ages, and 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 there's not enough of them to go around. That's what makes them appreciate in value. And little little peons like you and me, Brian. We can't go and we can't joust with the Rembrandts and, and all of the, uh, the Michelangelos and things like that. But now we can because of the people at Masterworks. We've been talking about this. The art and collectibles market is worth $1.7 trillion. And as we've said, if you corner that market, you've just made $1.7 trillion. Well, you it's can't... Um, we want to encourage what? people to we want to encourage people to use this, but you can't corner that market. We don't want to mislead people in thinking that there's a way to corner the art market. Well, you may not be able to corner it, but you could pin it in and keep it from going where it wants to go for a little while till you get what you want. It's going to increase by another nine hundred billion dollars in the next five years. And now, like I said, we all can get in on the action. It's a platform called Masterworks that lets the normal folks like you and me that may not have, have been able to just go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and take a shopping cart and say, fill it up. But now we can invest in famous works of art at a fraction of the actual price. So many of you have signed up when we talked about Masterworks before on the podcast also. Now they're offering all of you guys out there, the Cult of Cornette, priority access. You can skip the wait list. You will never have to wait for anything again. As a matter of fact, as soon as you go to masterworks.art, that's masterworks.art slash gym, and sign up and skip the wait list, well, then you can just go to the grocery and just barge in front of people. You can go to the movies and just sit in front of anybody you want. You don't oh, have no. to wait in lines. 
at the amusement parks. No, no, common courtesy still applies even with the benefits of Masterworks and these wonderful investments. But common courtesy... But you're skipping the wait list. There's no waiting now once you sign up with us at Masterworks because we say so. Well, no, we don't say that. We... In life, you may have to wait, but with Masterworks... You won't have to wait. You're talking me into a circle. I'm sick. All right, I'm sorry. You're feeling puny. Folks, go to masterworks.art slash gym and skip their wait list. You get priority access. You can find out from that fine website how to go about all these things where you're going to make $1.7 trillion. Although some collector plates do go down in value. And you can see important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash cd. You can see important regulation B disclosures at mytaint.com. But <laughs> don't worry about that right now. <laughs> That's masterworks.art slash Jim. Why? Why did you do <laughs> you'll get you'll get you'll get lots of masters and some work out of out of masterworks. It's very valuable. And I think they you may be even able to invest in some of these championship belts we were talking about. Because they're works of art. That is interesting. That should be something they look at. Well, yes. Could buy a piece of the belt. I mean, Ric Flair technically sold a lot of people pieces of the NWA belt, didn't he? Well, as a matter of fact, I think they have to manufacture three more belts just to have that many pieces. But you know, <laughs> yeah, so you could you could pitch in, you could and you could you could bring the NWA belt over at Christmas and then give it to its next owner for Valentine's Day, and you could just rotate holidays with that type of thing. With Masterworks. Masterworks, because you ain't going to make any money, apparently, in the WWE these days. You might have to get a sideline in investing in art, because have you heard this story now? Remember all of the the chaos that they went through when they were taking their talent social media accounts away from them and taking them over and the twitch all the people that were twitching they couldn't twitch anymore they had to calm down and the wwe was saying well this is justifiable from taking all this away from the talent because we're going to set up a big department and all they're going to do is work with all these social media companies we're going to have agents and we're going to make deals and we're going to make these guys just just shit potfuls of money, just buku of money everywhere. And that's why we're doing this. So just sit back and and take this ride with us. And several people got upset. And that was Zelina Vega had quit or got on the outs with them and then came back later. A lot of people were upset about the thing. You remember this, right? Yeah, I want to say this must have been two years ago because I think it was right around the beginning of the pandemic. You may be correct. Somewhere in that in that era. It was the point where WWE realized these people that they were not paying attention to what they were doing on social media weren't just on social media. They were making major amounts of money on social media. And WWE said, how do we get some of that? Yes. And also some of the people they weren't even using that had plenty of time on their hands are making more money over here doing this fucking shit on the internet than they're actually paying their talent to begin with. So then that's spreading around. And they're like, what? So they did, took all those steps, did all of that. Took everybody's shit over. Did you see the article just recently? I don't know if this is news. I just read it, so it's news to me. But there was a piece on, on the interwebs recently. So they did that, and then they, the department, with all the people that was supposed to run this, they've disbanded or 
put an end to, and nobody's made any big deals with all these social media companies, and nobody's doing anything on the WWE behalf from the office side to find these things or flesh them out or monetize them or make more money. They're just telling the talent, if you do something, give us half and you're okay. And and apparently... Hey, wait, could... Well, wait a minute. Apparently that would be half because the statement was that since Twitch takes a pretty good cut of some description for their platform and being involved, then that means that you're not even making half of your own money. So a lot of the talent is just say, well, fuck it. There's no reason to even put time into doing this. So what do you think of half to the WWE and whatever to twenty five percent of your own money or whatever? Half of the net. Yeah. It's absurd. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, what is their making, argument? Is their argument that the only reason you have value is because you're on our TV. So you have to do this or we'll take you off our TV. Apparently, that's really it, right? Because uh, uh, they're not doing anything to promote or service these social media accounts. These are wrestlers having direct communication with fans and doing yeah. it themselves. Yeah, but give us half of it, and so that's apparently why a lot of people are not doing as much as they were or as much as they would. And again, how can let's make it as inhospitable? to talent to want to work here for this company. And then on the other side of the fence, there's McDonald's Playland with the world's largest, you know, fucking water slide and just all of their friends are there and, and everybody can just be happy and do whatever they want. Doesn't matter whether it makes any sense or not. If I was a locker room lawyer, I'd be standing up right now saying that you're taking 50% from Pat McAfee stuff. Whoa! What about Bruce Pritchard's outside stuff? You taking fifty percent of that, or is it well, just no, us? Be fair now. Fifty percent of Bruce's outside stuff these days would be Denny's money. <laughs> but but still, but I get your point. Uh, you make a valid point. But that is uh, so. Maybe is that leading to why that everybody on Raw looks like they'd rather be in the dentist waiting room? You know what? I think part of the problem is they feel like they're in the dentist's waiting room all day, waiting for root canal, <laughs> just knowing what the finalized script will be for their segment. That's how nuts it is. Well, should we talk about, I guess, the time has come. Let's talk about Raw. All right. Because you're, you're sick. You're going to need another vapor rub injection here shortly. That would be nice. Injection? Wait, hold on. What? What? You don't do it that way? No. No, I do not inject the, it's, that's, that's the best way for delivery to the colon. Well, speaking of colon and things that come out of the colon, let's talk about Raw. <laughs> if you're not seeing any results from the Vicks Vapor Rub, <laughs> you're probably not getting delivery all the way to the colon. That's what the problem is. Don't you listen to our commercials? Delivery to the colon is important with anything. Anyway, so <laughs> Raw was this past week. It certainly was. It seems like only yesterday, but it was long ago. Janie, was she, she was the queen of my nights. There in the darkness with the radio playing low. April the 18th, I would believe, was the day that it broadcast. And here came Monday Night Rollins. Was He was the Monday Night Messiah. 
Now he's Monday Night Rollins. He's hopping and he's hawing and he's gesticulating. And I, I honestly, at this point with his odd and jerky movements, in some cases he looks like Elaine Bennis trying to dance at a Christmas party. <laughs> And he's pointing and he's doing and he's bending over and he's changing the facial expressions. He looks like if if Kenny Olivier actually had testosterone and could grow, you know, hair and shit. So he invites Cody to the ring to come out and talk to him because obviously Cody beat Seth at WrestleMania and Cody's big re-debut. Seth wants a rematch. They're going to have a rematch. They're going to fight again at the next pay-per-view, if they're so mad at each other that they're going to fight again, why do they want to talk to each other in the ring with nobody in between them and they stand there for 15 minutes and never come to fisticuffs? Uh, this was kind of like, and I think Cody's going to do well because he's a walking thesaurus, but this is a WWE sports entertainment 20-minute dramatic presentation of a promo trying to get people interested in a pay-per-view match that actually at the end of it you want to see less than you did at the start because you've seen these guys stand there and mouth off at each other for 15 minutes and nobody did a goddamn thing and if they have a rematch cody can't lose so is seth just getting beat again did he get beat right before he got beat at wrestlemania he was on a losing streak before he was on a losing streak and it kept going and it ain't stopped. And this promo would never stop. They kept starting and stopping and milking the crowd. And you know, Cody was having fun cause they're cheering him, but I wrote God, this takes forever. And the bone of contention is that Cody, apparently according to Seth had an unfair advantage at WrestleMania because he didn't know who he was facing, but Cody did. So that's why they're going to have the rematch. And Seth says, I do everything better than you. I do this. I, I drips the drop better than you. So Seth talked to Cody for about five straight minutes. And then Cody talked back to Seth like he was running for public office. And then finally, Seth has picked a surprise opponent for Cody for tonight so he can get a little taste of his own medicine. And Cody accepted it. And it was... Over 15 minutes to get to that point. I like guys doing interviews to set up their matches, but at it just, there's no, there's no host. There's no announcer. There's just these two guys who it is now accepted on this program that any talent can just walk out and take over the show at any point with their own microphone. Nobody's running this thing. I mean, that's that horse has already left the barn, but they just talk and talk and talk, and the only time they stop talking is when they're milking the people to cheer so they're not talking. It was long, is what I'm saying. We on the drive-thru talked about Cody and WWE, and you had an email about someone saying that the fans there were going to get sick of him, and I disagreed with it, and I had seen Raw at that time, and you hadn't. And I said, the problem isn't as much Cody as the way they're using him, which is the way they use everyone else, which is you come there, you're special, now we're going to jam you down everyone's throat. They're jamming him down the throat by him being in there for 20 minutes talking, and he's going to still come out, he's going to get his entrance twice on the same show. Yeah. 
which loses its specialness. If we pop big for you the first time, we're going to do the same the second time. I think that's the problem is Cody has, he has a lot going for him right now, but they also have to use him well to make it work. Well, and see, that's the in again, in, in this company 20 years ago, you could bring a main event guy in and put him on TV every week, but he wasn't, he wasn't doing a five minute entrance twice and he wasn't doing a 15 minute long promo and then having a main event competitive match right when he first got to the company. He was having interviews that were of the length that interviews used to be before they got writers. So they didn't wear out their welcome if they were any good. And there was plenty of talent on the roster. So you got a six or eight minute match to showcase what you could do and get a good win as you were being built up to. Face more top guys in main event style matches. It wasn't the, as you said, the incessantness of every show multiple times seeing the same guy doing a lot of the same stuff. And, but now the, the talent is so thin, sparse, that they have to put guys in these long matches, whether they need to be long or not. The, the entrances, because it's a three-hour program, are just out of fucking control, just out of hand. And you're seeing these top guys for 30 minutes and more each week. And that would almost wear anybody out. So, I mean, that the problem is not Cody or even what Cody's doing. The problem is how much of, of it he's going to do. And we're going to see, I think. Uh, but um, that was the first 15, 20, well, 20 minutes of the show after we saw the package, and they do great packages. I'm not saying don't do the package. But then, thankfully, we had a break in the action, <laughs> and the next match was Naomi and Sasha against Rhea Ripley and Liv, Liv Morgan. Leave Morgan. Well, that's what she told her to do. Leave, Morgan. Naomi and Sasha double-teamed and beat Rhea Ripley, Liv was nowhere innocently, but she had been taken out of the picture. I'm not happy they beat Rhea Ripley again, but since it leads to this, if she's going to be a single heel, I'll take it, I'll take it. She gets pissed, she and little, little Liv have an argument, and Ripley jumped her and beat the shit out of her and gave her the riptide. And that was a great 30 seconds. If now we can have Rhea Ripley as a single heel being moved into the main event mix with the the Charlottes and the Rouseys and the Biancas and the Beckys, that would be a wonderful thing. Otherwise, I didn't, uh, I spaced on the match. What'd you think? It is what it is, but my bigger question is, what do you think in a perfect world, and if we could take all the booking of the last couple of years out of the equation, in a perfect world, what is the best use of Rhea Ripley right now, as a heel or as a babyface? Right now, I think she needs to be a heel because she's been out there. She has that look, and she can be dominant physically because she's bigger than most of the rest of the girls, and she sh can show her strength with the moves she does. Uh, you know, she's got such a great look and a great smile and etc when she wants to do that that if they'd have pushed her at start as a baby face i think it's it's a great thing have 
You know, as she's an action movie, somebody again said, oh, Cornette thinks she's a movie star. Once again, not like Marilyn Monroe, like fucking goddamn Bruce Willis, The Rock. She's an action movie star. And that would have been great as a babyface. Now that she's teamed with flunkies, the thing with Nikki ass, let her be a heel. Let her fuck some people up. Let her beat some people and jerk them around and show her dominant physicality. And then later on, as she hopefully will get established with a fresh push, then they could get behind her as people do top talent being used as top talent. But let's try this, since at least it's different than what they've done before. Speaking of who needs to be a heel or a babyface, good God almighty, did you see the lie detector test? Yeah, yeah, I saw. This was one of the more embarrassing segments I've seen in a while. There was no babyface or heel in this. They're all heels, including the people that wrote it and anybody that fucking held the camera on it and made us watch it. The Kevin Owens show, the KO show with Chad Gable, who I liked as an athlete in that team with Jordan, and then they made him shorty, and now they've made him an idiot, and I can't wait to not see him on my television. And they gave a lie detector test to Elias slash Ezekiel because, of course, Owens has been flipping out that it's really Elias because, of course, it's obviously Elias, but he claims he's Ezekiel, his younger brother or whatever. And Owens is the only one. He's Oliver Wendell Douglas on a set of Green Acres. He's the only one that sees the chaos and the craziness that's going on, and it's driving him to distraction. He's losing his religion over this. So they set up a lie detector test, and Gable is administering the lie detector test because <laughs> he's an expert because he went to college and lettered in wrestling or whatever the fuck. And they've got the graph, the lie detector test, the needle, the graph that moves back and forth, they've got that on the Titantron. And Gable is shooshing the people. And he and Owens are trying to do comedy. Owens has apparently paid him $150 Canadian money to do this, so do it right. And they bring out Ezekiel, or Elias, who looks... Now he looks like 1982 baby... 1980 babyface Paul Ellering, doesn't he? You know what? Wow, that's really good. He does look like that, yeah. He just looks fucking weird, is what he looks like. And that Once we've seen him the way he used to look, he don't look right anymore. But anyway, they give him the test. He says his real name is Ezekiel, and it says he's telling the truth. Is Elias your older brother? He says, yes, he's telling the truth. Is Elias your real name? No, he's telling the truth. What the fuck? So how are they? It was unbearable, except for Owens calling Buffalo, New York, Canada's landfill. That was a bright spot, but otherwise. Can you imagine... What Kevin Steen's reaction would have been if me or Delirious or anybody in Ring of Honor had asked him to go out there and do this with all how he was all against cheesy and old school and old style and bad comedy booking, whatever the fuck. 
I can tell you how we, I mean, <sighs> the problem is you and Delirious and whoever wouldn't have presented it the right way. WWE learned the right way to present these segments, which is, here's a whole shitload of money, do all this stuff that violates your integrity. Well, now you've, you've hit straight to the meat of the matter. So after this unbearable thing, basically Owens gets up in Elias Ezekiel's or Ezekiel Elias's face. Ezekiel Elias, that's what his name is. And he got up in his face and they had words and Kevin Owens or else him like he did last week or whatever. Well, you got the count of five or you got to get out of my ring or else. And then Owens is the one that leaves and Gable attacks from behind. And they have a match, which I didn't watch because God did the lie detector. We ought to look at the minute by minute ratings later on and see if the lie detector test caused a significant viewer exodus from this program because this was just brutal it wasn't funny it wasn't done well it was it's like people jacking off out there right it was like over the top childish acting we always joke about oh this belongs on nickelodeon or disney channel that's what chad gable's acting was in this kevin owens is getting even more over the top in the cartoony wwe fashion lately it seems He's having a good time, obviously, and he's good at delivering their garbage. But you watch something like this, and the big takeaway for me is, who is the audience for this? Because it's not especially entertaining. It's not especially funny. It seems like it's being delivered to a young audience, but we know, based on facts, that there isn't really a big young audience for Raw. It's a much older audience. Wait a minute, you're basing things on facts? An audience that wouldn't really want to see something like this, it makes no sense why something this bad gets on a wrestling show. This was an atrocious segment. But again, they have people who like the stupidity of wrestling and they like the Elias. You know, there are people like the Otis-Mandy relationship and those are the same people that are going to like the Elias-Ezekiel crap. Well, next up, Deja Vu. Wouldn't you like the match that we showed you times 22? <laughs> RK Bro versus the Street Profits number 743. I skipped that too, because I if Randy Orton ever starts having singles matches again that don't involve setting anybody on fire, I'd like to see them. But otherwise, to have to watch Riddle and look at the the uh, great, great value private party here. You know what, though? I watched some of this match, a good portion of it, in fact. If you can, the next time you see RK Bro in a, I was about to say one on one, a two on two tag team match, a traditional tag team match, they were working pretty good together, Orton and Riddle as a tag team. I thought to myself, I'd really like to hear what Jim thinks of this, but I know he's going to skip it, <laughs> and I don't blame him, but. Next is there a is there a good tag team they could wrestle instead of the same guys every fucking week, or is this just what we're gonna have? AEW has endless tag teams, and WWE has like the same four tag teams in constant rotation always. And AEW, we can't get the rematches we want of the matches that were good, and in the WWE, we have constant rematches of matches we didn't really care about the first time. Okay, I'm just glad we got that straight. Do birds still fly out of Riddle's ass? When I said I saw most of it, I missed the bird <laughs> part of the match at the beginning. 
The bird, well, you know about the colon delivery works for the birds too. You know, honestly, if you're watching wrestling and you watch it every week, what incentive is there not to either fast forward or change the channel during a ring introduction? Because you see it nonstop and you know they take forever. So I didn't see the birds because I usually am ignoring things during the introductions. Well, they're going to switch it up one of these days. They're going to have some other fucking creature come out of his ass just to see if anybody's paying attention. Gerbils? The birds attack him. They come out of his ass and just attack him. <laughs> <laughs> his little head to death. Okay, well, next up on Raw was a promo with Edge and Damian Priest doing the House of Black's gimmick better than the House of Black do it. Um, You've got spooky-looking guys in black suits, a leader and a follower. The follower has a reason to be have a bad attitude toward the way he's been treated after he's been swayed in that direction by the leader who also has a reason to be pissed at the company because as edge mentioned, Damien, Damien pleased Damien priest played second fiddle to bugs bunny at last year's WrestleMania and edge came back and overcame his retirement neck injury, the whole nine yards. And he's, as he says, the people end up, they don't appreciate him. Classic heel stuff. You got to think that you're right and that you do have a legitimate gripe, even though you're deranged. And Edge did a great promo here, not only with emotion and facials and inflection and the delivery, but it was shot well. It wasn't a black closet with a lava lamp where somebody walks into a spotlight and finishes somebody else's sentence. It, it The House of Black promos on AEW now look like the fucking, you know, the foreheads in Bohemian Rhapsody, but they've missed one. It's just they're in the fucking dark somewhere with a flashlight shining on them. This looked like what they're trying to do. They just did it better. What do you think? It's a little too schlocky for me. I don't like this kind of stuff on my wrestling. I do think it works a little better than the House of Black, but we'll talk more about that with AEW's review. The only good thing I can really say about this is at least as stupid as I find this, Damian Priest is standing out a little bit more being a part of it. And he kind of looks the role, you know, in the black outfit with the black background and the deep voice. This may be a way to get him somewhere after all this ends. So in that way, I think it's all right. But that's really the only benefit to me I see is that Damian Priest stands out a little bit more. You know, that's another test. They they talk about, well, we're only going to sign people that are such and such height and such and such weight. They ought to have a tone meter and only sign people with grown-up adult male voices that sound like some, instead of, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. So, speaking of which, shortly after this, AJ Styles is in the locker room about to talk to interviewer number 14, and suddenly the lights flicker on and off. And then Edge and Damian Priest just appear next to him in the shaded light and kick the shit out of him. And I liked this promo that preceded it, and I like it so much less after seeing this, because now they're just like everything else, they're fake as fuck. Even if they had somebody on the light switch and what anybody that's been in a fucking major arena knows to be a locker room, it's probably 20 feet square. 
but they then suddenly colored lights that had to be specially installed come on, and AJ had no idea that these two guys were going to be standing next to him until he saw him standing next to him. They just had the talent go out and talk and look professional and look like the gimmick, look like something. And then they do a bunch of fake, phony wrestling shit that people who wanted to parody wrestling 40 years ago would have done on a sketch comedy show. So, tip of the cap, wag of the finger. That's right. And you know, I'm not exactly sure when, but I'm going to play spoiler here. I missed the end of Raw because I was getting tired. It's a long, <laughs> It's a long show and I ended up falling asleep. I went to the couch in the library and lay down for five minutes with Swami and fell asleep. No, no, I know exactly what you did. You're trying to say that you were up and about and yeah. that you were working and watching this show and suddenly yep. you just had to go and take a nap. You were so tired. No, what it was was the combination of the raw tonins that seep into your brain through your eyeballs whenever you watch raw and the fact that you were laying in a comfortable position on your Helix mattress. That's what contributed to you zoning out, conking out, and going to the land of somnambulism and missing the rest of this paint-drying program. You made the mistake of trying to watch a boring program on a Helix sleep mattress, and everybody knows that's no good. Folks, you could watch back-to-back director's cuts of Deep Throat and Behind the Green Door, and you could still fall asleep during those on a Helix sleep mattress. They're so comfortable. You could be watching footage of Freddy fucking a football. It doesn't what? matter. Can we get away from some of these films that you're naming and get into more well, mainstream films? That was, that, was a, that was actually a sequel to Dumbo Does It Donkey Style. But no matter what kind of excitement you're involved in or you're watching, you're going to go to sleep on the Helix mattress. You got to be careful. You don't want to just sit down to answer the phone. Even if you sit on one of these Helix mattresses, you'll be unconscious instantly. It has to do with a a, a pouch of gas that's stored secretly in the middle of the mattress. That once you sit down on it and it unleashes some of that, you get a good whiff. You're out like James West in the Wild Wild West when he's fucking around with Dr. Miguelito Loveless. However, you can get non-gas-filled mattresses also if you want to do it the normal way, the natural way. What you do is you go to Helix, H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com, and you take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that gives you the best sleep of your life. You will never, you'll want to sleep like you're in suspended animation. If you wake up and Buck Rogers is leaning down looking at you, You've gone too far. Folks, they got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. I've seen sometimes they get so upset, they drag it out in your front yard and set fire to it right in front of you. They're upset that they created a mattress that you wouldn't like, and and then they'll go and they'll beat themselves with chains across the back. The, The Helix delivery people... If you don't like their mattress, they want to punish themselves, folks, because they want to make shit that you love. But anyway, if you go to helixsleep.com slash JCE, right now Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows just for our listeners, helixsleep.com slash JCE 
up to $200 off mattress orders and two free pillows. And remember to specify whether you want the bag of sleep gas placed in the middle of your mattress or whether you want to go it alone. Either way, it's going to be comfortable. But uh, especially if you have any issues, if you get the sleep gas, then you're probably going to be out for six months or so. Things will be better by then. Sleep gas? Well, they have the pouch of it right in the middle of the mattress. That's optional, though. And it costs a lot more. You know I'm under the weather. I can't fight you the way I normally would. This is so unfair. I can't fight you. I can't fight so unfair. All right, just get the mattresses without pouches of sleep gas. That's right. They're safe. No skin off my nose. And there'll be no skin off your body because these mattresses are safe and they are, I was about to say delicious, not delicious, but comfortable. You will like them. Do not eat the mattresses. No. And they do sometimes have, you got to inspect them like Halloween candy. Sometimes people put safety pins and razor no, blades No, see, in. stop. There you go again. There are no safety pins. There are no razors. This is not an apple in 1976 during Halloween. This is a fine, safe, and comfortable mattress because that's the only kind of mattress we would ever talk about. Helix Sleep. I could have said it better myself. Well, up next, we'll forget about the gas bags until later when we... Get AEW. There and then there's plenty no of gas, gas bags. Over. Well, there's there. plenty of gas bags yeah. on AEW. That's true. But the next match on Raw was for the U.S. title. Austin, I'm sorry, Theory, because he's unproven. As soon as he is, they'll change his name to Fact. Versus Balor for the U.S. title. They have already had five matches. Have they not? Do they not wrestle every week? either in singles or in multi, in six-man or whatever the fuck. I've seen Theory beat Balor. I've seen Balor beat Theory. These are not massively disputed finishes that call for immediate rematches. This is not a blood feud. They just don't have anybody else to wrestle, and they wanted to put the belt on our boy Theory. So they had a bit of a match and went to the break. They came back, and did some some of the same stuff they usually do. This was not the best one, nor I don't know the worst one that I've seen. Theory did a nice leaping, flipping something off the top rope, and then Balor missed his stomp off the top, and Theory hit his finish, one, two, three, and they got a new United States champion in, I don't know, this took 10 minutes with the break. And then all the mid-card guys hit the ring to celebrate a heel winning a title, and they pick him up on on their shoulders, and then here comes Vince out to the entranceway with his music, and old Theory goes up to Vince and takes selfies with Vince and the belt. I don't know that this was exactly the career-making moment of making this guy a big-time champion or whether it was a TV match with a belt involved and a bunch of preliminary guys who just wanted to be on the show were the ones that were happy about it. But you went to sleep, didn't you? Well, you know, I did catch some of this because some of it rings uh, true. I remember (laughs) a bit of it. But this was the first... Sounds like you've had your bell rung more than one time here lately. Hey, listen, Sudafed, marijuana, caffeine, it's all happening right now inside this body. But what I was going to say is this is the first time you've seen Austin Theory, unless I'm wrong, since he had his name changed to Theory. We hear the reports. It sounds stupid. What do you think when you actually hear him announced as Theory and called that throughout the match? It's as stupid as the reports. 
And again, somebody is now they brought up, well, what about Edge and Goldberg and Christian? His name wasn't Matthew Edge. <laughs> it was just Edge. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was never two things to begin with and then suddenly dropped it. And also none of those names beg for a question mark at the end of them. But when you theory. Yeah. You slept through the title change. Shame on you. Hopefully you slept through the wedding ceremony. This was so repugnant that it almost made me skip the main event and just say, I'm done. But you know what? The double wedding ceremony. I saw the wedding ceremony. I didn't fall asleep yet. I can't remember when I fell asleep. I know I fell asleep in the middle of Raw. I just can't remember the exact point. But every time you bring up another one of these things. We're getting to the end. So it just, you were just so, you were were hypnotized. I thought they were nightmares. I thought I was sleeping and they were nightmares. Fever dreams. (laughs) The double wedding ceremony. Ron Killings is the preacher. Our truth is the preacher. And four people are going to get married. Or I think they said commitment ceremony. It's all bullshit. Reggie and Dana and Tamina and Tazawa. Where what happened to Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice? For all you 60-year-olds in the audience, that'll be fucking hilarious. And obviously, this whole clown show was phony as a football bat and built up to where they all beat each other, the women in the wedding gowns and the the guys in the tuxedo, whatever, they all beat each other for the 24-7 comedy title that's fucking ludicrous. And they wonder why they're losing viewers. 13 minutes of national TV time looked like cable access. And I use your line. Who is the audience for this? Stupid people? Why would anybody have chosen of their own free will to watch these underneath talents pretend to do shit that we know obviously they're not doing and not do it well and it's not funny. It's just silly and stupid. I would say I'd never watch any of these people again, but I would never watch them before. Did you go back to sleep yet? I will say I think it was the best I've ever seen Tamina. What? I've never found her entertaining or particularly good, but she was the highlight of this, but it was terrible. Definitely made me miss the seriousness of the lie detector segment. (laughs) But again, you kind of hit on my thing. What is the audience for this? Who is the audience for this? They're not even, and I'm not saying you should do this with main event people because it would be a a malpractice. It'd be even worse. Yeah. Yeah. But who cares about the lower card, mid card people? doing a bullshit, clearly fake, stupid wedding on this show, and it took forever. This show takes forever. This show is garbage almost every week. Terrible. If you're lucky, you get one good segment. If you're lucky. What garbage? This was approved. Someone pitched the idea of the wedding. Someone came up with all the little bad comedy segments, and it was approved, and it got on the air, and again... At what point in Vince McMahon's life did he say, I just want to always see adults act like children? Because no one acts like any of this. I just want one wrestling show with adults who act like adults. Well, we get that somewhat with AEW sometimes, but it's never on this show. I'll go back to sleep. That's the rating I give the wedding. Hopefully, um, 
from the looks of the relationship between some of these couples, the gifts are returnable. So we come to our main event of the evening. Cody Rhodes versus a mystery opponent picked by Seth Rollins. Another entrance. So now they've done a 15-minute promo earlier in the show, plus the opening package. And they got 20 minutes left on the air, so they're going to have a 20-minute main event. If we talked about wearing welcomes out. So here comes Seth again, big, you know, the big entrance, the suit, the music, the whole nine yards, and he does a big introduction of Kevin Owens. The same guy that just did a 15-minute comedy lie detector segment <laughs> and threatened somebody or else and then walked off on him. Now they don't have enough talent for three hours, so the guy that keeps her elsing and walking off is about to do a, a job of some description here in an unrelated angle because they don't have enough guys. It really is sometimes like Raw is the old promotion where the weather's bad or guys couldn't make it there. Yeah. It's just a small house show where you have like a tag team match and then two singles matches featuring the tag team wrestlers and then everything else featuring the same wrestlers over and over. That famous Knoxville TV that still exists, uh, thanks to golden boy Joe Kazana, it was fucking snow in East Tennessee and none of the guys could get to TV. Ron Wright was there because he lived there and Ron Wright could get anywhere. And the other rest of the hour of the show was Jerry Lawler and Jim White having two singles matches against Tommy Gilbert because Tommy Gilbert's partner wasn't there. And... And they did the interview angle with Ron Wright, and that was the fucking show. That used to happen a lot in the old days when the card wouldn't be that huge to begin with, and you were supposed to be at the studio for TV an hour before the show went on the air live. So shit happened. But anyway, um, they did two minutes of the match with Cody and Owens, and Cody did a dive, and Owens racked him into the rail, and they went to the break. And they came back from the break, and I noticed this. I don't know if you were back snoozing but i was done yeah i was done okay well they were going through all the motions of having a match but just that i mean they're palming guys heads and flinging them through the ropes and they're going and it's a pace but it's not aggressive it's it's in kind of an an uninspired spot show match and i could imagine that owens was probably tired from being out there for 15 minutes of lie detecting and whatever but it just he got some heat on Cody. Owens goes to the top. Owens did a senton, you know, the flipping thing where they land with the back like Jeff Hardy's doing potato and people now, right? Yeah. He did a senton. Cody raises the knees, but Owens landed on Cody's knees for real. Right top. He could have blown both his PCLs. He squashed him up like a fucking accordion. And then they took a bump over the desk. After they, they go out on the floor, they're fighting on the floor, they take a bump over the desk, and suddenly Seth Rollins' music starts playing, and out he comes, and they go to another commercial. Now there's eight minutes left on the air in the main event, and they've just gone to a break. Talk about breaking up momentum, and the, the tease to, to keep us after the break is Seth's coming. What's he going to do? Well, guess what? When fucking, when they come back, they're just wrestling. Seth's not a fucking participant or an entity. He's just hanging around. He didn't do anything. 
so Owens hits a splash off the top, gets a two count. And another lead-assed Swanton gets a two count. And Cody starts making a comeback, finally, but he gets powerbombed for another two count. And then Owens goes to the top again. And Cody gets up and fucking... Some way he's trying to... They're doing the thing on the turnbuckles. And some way Owens gives Cody a fisherman suplex off the top rope and Cody gets his foot on the ropes. And then I wrote, Jesus, where's the cannon? And then Cody backdrops Owens onto the apron. He takes the full bump on the apron hard and rolls off on the floor. And Seth Rollins is telling him, get your fat ass back in there and do something. And the referee's counting him out. And at nine, Owens tells Rollins, well, it's your stupid match. And waves him off and walks off again. <laughs> That's the, They ought to start. Kevin Owens has music to come out on his entrance. And then every time he leaves, they play the walkaway music from The Incredible Hulk. So he walks out as the referee is at nine. He's waved Rollins off and my DVR froze. Because they were that close to the end of the show. So apparently, Owens took a walk and got counted out. Cody won. And this took a long, long time to do. What were you dreaming about at this point? How lucky I was not to be watching WWE. It's a rotten show. It's terrible. You're surprised when it's good. You're not surprised when it's bad because bad is typical. Well, see, that's what lowered expectations. They get you thinking, yeah, I'm going to watch this show and it's going to suck pond water. And then they throw one good thing in and you're just over the fucking moon. But unfortunately, folks, you know, because Brian has been feeling puny and he did nod off because this raw ranks right up there with hypnosis as a great way to go to sleep. But if you neither want to subject yourself to three hours of raw nor hire your own hypnotist, then you know how the best way to get to sleep is and how most people get to sleep is these days. And that's with the incredible powder from Beam called Beam Dream. And Brian, of course, you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity. And sleeping less than six to seven hours a night is linked to reduced white blood cell count, which, of course, the white blood cells are what protect our body against illness and diseases, virus, bacteria, germs, russos. The white blood cells are our first line of defense, so having a consistent nighttime routine is so important. A better tomorrow starts tonight, or if you want to get an early start, this afternoon. Introducing Beam Dream. That's what's being brought into this conversation. It's the world's most innovative functional wellness brand is Beam with unique products for everything to make you sleep, to make you recover. And boy, sleeping's one thing, but recovering from sleep, that's even harder. <clears throat> but right now, folks, today, you're going to get a special discount for the Dream Powder, Beam's best-selling healthy hot cocoa, which contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab-tested. I don't know what that damn Labrador has to do with this thing. He sleeps in a corner on his bed all the time anyway. 
but he's tested it three times. There's no THC in this, but still get it. And 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream. 99% of people experience better sleep quality. And 1% wake up having vivid memories of a previous life. You just mix the Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir, and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime or... If you want to operate some heavy machinery, drink a double dose about an hour beforehand. Folks, you can find out. Drink a regular dose the regular way, as recommended by Beam. Yes, yes, you can find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and how they're reporting on the people that are slowly coming back to consciousness and can't wait to try it again. And if you don't love it, you'll get your money back, guaranteed. Actually, they'll tell you they sent you your money. You'll be so confused when you wake up, you won't really know the difference, and you'll forget about it after a while because there are short-term memory issues. However, for a limited time only, you can get $20 off when you go to Beam, that's B-E-A-M, beamorganics.com, slash J-C-E, use the code J-C-E at checkout. Beamorganics.com, slash J-C-E, and use the code J-C-E for $20 off. You will sleep like you are a member of the Transylvanian Undead with Beam. That's right, but we will be alive with Beam, and you will feel alive when you wake up from Beam. And hopefully <laughs> I'll have some Beam after this show, because I could really use some. You need, you need some, uh, some Beam or some Dream or some Steam or something to you. Uh, as a matter of fact, what is keeping the folks awake over there in the Arcadian Vanguard... Uh, division here this this fine week oh sinuses are not another great fucking week on the arcadian vanguard podcast network get information about all the shows on twitter at super podcasts or on facebook facebook.com slash arcadian vanguard a few notes the latest episode of the mid-atlantic championship podcast with mike sempervivi and roman gomez is out right now reviewing the first episode of mid-atlantic wrestling tv from 1983 Hear it today at midatlanticpod.com or look for the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also want to make mention of the latest episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review with myself and Mike Mills out right now. Go to midsouthpod.com, also available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Hear the early days of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express in Mid-South Wrestling, December 1983, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review. Of course, also want to mention Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, SUAWPod.com, available wherever you find your favorite shows. This week's guest, David Marquez. Hear that today. Once again, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, SUAWPod.com. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! This is the second week in a row where there's a house guest wondering what the hell just happened in this house. But opening week Star Wars is out. Hear it today. Hear a fun talk about wrestling and baseball at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite shows. Look for the 605 Super Podcast. And now I'm feeling it again in my throat. The Mothership. I was about to say, see? Fuck. As Bobby Eaton used to say, fuck around, fuck around. Pretty soon you won't be around doing all that mothership stuff at me and your condition. You're a sick man, Brian Last. You're getting sicker all the time. Time is 
drawing near. You don't have much left. What? I have lots left, I hope. I can I can tell, I can tell it by the sound of your voice. You're on the downhill slide or the uphill slide or whatever oh, it is. No. You're not doing any good. All righty then. Well, speaking, speaking of not doing any good. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> 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 Should we go again? You know, they all they start promising every Wednesday night. You don't have to stay up late anymore because all the jerkworthy stuff is at the top of the program. This week's but, show, uh, though, more than most weeks show, there was a just steady slide from the first segment all the way to the last segment. It wasn't like peaks and valleys. It was just kind of straight downhill. Sort of like uh uh who was that skier? Spider Savage that got shot by his lover. He was going down, 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 and he started to go up, and then she shot him, and he went down. (laughs) What? But that was a Saturday Night Live sketch, I think, that they did early on. This fucking uh, Claudine Langer, that was the girl's name, International Ski Jumping Championship, and they had fucking pictures or video of the ski jumpers coming off the jump and doing some crazy bump in the air and falling, but they'd insert a gunshot right before they lost control, so they come off the ski jump, then you hear, bam, and then they fucking go everywhere. It was, <laughs> All right. it was hilarious if you were alive 50 years ago and remember her shooting that guy. Anyway, AEW Wednesday night, April the 20th. And of course, we're going to try to keep those Big Bang Theory ratings. Can you believe it has come to this that a reruns of a not really the greatest situation comedy in the world is drawing half a million people more than the wrestling program? That would not have been the case back in the local television days, I assure you. Anyway. So immediately to keep those ratings, like Mussolini, the only star we got, he's coming out again and he's hot. They're put, they're loading the wagon. What was it they used to say? If you think of, you know, a donkey can't pull the wagon loaded up or whatever, right? Well, they've loaded everything behind CM Punk. And he's the first say it's it's that's now it's just like we've got to put him there to try to keep these people right but again i wanted to see this because it's a single match with dustin Rhodes and the start of the show the crowd the building punk's entrance he's a star they're playing real music from a recognized artist this show looks major league when they kick it off and it dustin come did we say this before, or was I talking about Dustin or somebody else? But now he's in the conversation. Is he the best 53-year-old since Nick Bockwinkle? You said that before, and if he isn't, he's certainly up on that list. Of course, he's not working a full-time schedule, but whenever we see him, it's always impressive. I mean, yeah, and here, I can't remember how old Punk is. He's he's 40-something, right? Early he's my 40. age, 42, I think. Okay. So the combined age in this match of the two participants was 95, and they're two of the best workers on the roster. And it's a babyface match. There's two clear babyfaces, so they the handshake at start works there. And there's no there's no blood feud. There's no reason to start trying to break the guy's bones or throw him through tables within two or three minutes of this. They did some nice running spots, some 
as uh, the boys used to say, some tick tackles and flip flops. Worked head scissors. Punk couldn't get the bow and arrow on Dustin because he's too tall. He couldn't get around both the ankles and the and the chin and get him up in the leverage. But they had a wrestling match. And they would sell shit that happened to him along the way. Punk at one point dropped down. Dustin went over him and out of control and bumped to the floor and sold his knee. And then once that Punk goes out and gets him and rolls him in, Punk is able to get a little rough with the leg because there has to be somebody to particularly to cheer for. So he, he lightly led the people to get behind Dustin, who's the underdog, and you want to be the sympathetic figure. And he gets heat on Dustin's leg. And then they go to the break, and apparently right before they came back, uh, they did the deal where Punk is going to drop on Dustin's leg on the bottom rope like Flair used to do to set up the figure four, but Dustin does the deal where he puts his foot in Punk's ass, kicks him over the top rope, and creates some space. So Punk goes back to the leg, but Dustin kicks him into the post and then drops him on the apron. And now they're going back and forth. Dustin started a comeback with a backdrop. I swear to God, you can watch 12 wrestling programs these days and you will not see one backdrop. They all want to take every dangerous bump in the world, but nobody wants to take a backdrop. I liked where Dustin gave him the 10 punches in the corner and then jumped down and sold his left knee. So Punk had an opening and he charged, but Dustin hit the code red thing, got a nice two count. And then Dustin still, you know, Punk will try to go for his finish. Dustin will come out of it. Power slam two count. They got the figure four and started slapping each other because that's all you can reach in the figure four. They're slapping each other and then punching each other in the face. Dustin turns him. Punk gets a rope break. And the AEW fans there in the building start chanting, this is awesome for a wrestling match. They can tell when people are doing something well. They don't have to be force-fed the fucking gaga. Uh, Dustin foiled a springboard and hit a crossroads and a kind of a wonky pile driver for a two-count. I didn't mind the kick out there because it wasn't a great pile driver. But then Dustin goes into the dusty jabs. Punk hits the roundhouse kick, which missed Dustin's side of his head and tatered him in the back of his head with his heel uh, as he went by, but went for the go to sleep. Dustin slips out. Punk catches his legs and kneels on him. Boom, one, two, three. Clean finish. Nice match. The first 20 minutes of the show looks big time. And they can do hugs and shows of respect now because nothing they did in the match would preclude them from wanting to do that if it was real. It was a contest, but nobody hated the other guy. And then, you know, Punk's leaving, and Adam Page's music plays, and they come out and have a face-to-face stare-down, apparently just for that. They go to the break, and then Page leaves, because he's not there when we come back. But again, for the first 20 minutes, recognizable names, experienced professionals, a big crowd, Names on the announce team, music, reaction. They look like a big-time deal. And then their content slowly goes 
down the porcelain throne. Your thoughts? Really enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying everything with punk right now. I actually was thinking the other day that I, th- by and large, may be enjoying his work now than I ever did before. There were matches I liked. There were promos I liked. But I don't know if there's ever been just a, an entire run, an entire period of time where I've enjoyed so much of it. It's because his matches have that feeling that I want. The contrast between what we're seeing almost everywhere else with everybody else and what he's given us, and, and Danielson and a couple other people. Yeah, but with Punk specifically, when you see his face during a match and his hair is covered in sweat and he looks like he's grinding and he's really working as hard as he can, it kind of can get you to lose yourself into what professional wrestling is supposed to be. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. My only other uh, comment would be, Hearing Dustin's promo the other day and, you know, the way his voice, it's a lot more gravelly than it used to be. And seeing Dustin work, is it crazy to think that maybe they could do something with him as a heel so he doesn't have to do as much physically? Because, I don't know, to have him, someone recognized by just about everyone who knows anything as being one of the, like you said, one of the best workers of all time over the age of 50, but he's just a mid-card or lower babyface that appears every now and then and has a really great match and loses. But everyone knows who he is, and he's actually doing great work whenever he's out there. Is there something better that could be done with him? And I don't think it could be as a babyface, quite frankly. Well, and to be honest with you, considering that he probably knows how to heal better than most of the people on the roster, also, you could do something with him. And I don't know whether Tony Khan just thinks, well, I want him to just be the elder statesman and have the good match with guys or whatever, but you could certainly get better television out of a heel-motivated Dustin Rhodes with a grudge against some. Maybe he's got a grudge because of the way the company treated his family on the way out. Something. And get people interested in that. And then, obviously, if he's taking an anti- AEW stance that most of the fans would probably disagree with that. Yeah, you could do something with him because he's talented and he knows what he's doing. Maybe they just thought, oh, when the start, you know, the start of the thing, he'll be a coach and he'll be this and that. But but no, considering what you've got up and down the rest of the roster, don't sleep on Dustin Rhodes. Speaking of sleeping, I don't want to <laughs> somebody had some kind of dream. I understand the whole thing with Wardlow and it's working and he's getting over and beating up the security. I'm loving and whatever. But when they've got Mark Sterling, who's obviously bullshit because he doesn't ever sound serious. A a lawyer can get heat as a manager and agent or whatever, but it, it it's just, it's not, this is showbiz stuff. But that he confronts Wardlow in the back with security and with all the rules of how Wardlow has to conduct himself while he's in the building. He can't leave security. He can't touch anybody. MJF, you know, he can't do anything. But also, he has to be handcuffed. And they're actually taking him to the locker room handcuffed. And how did he how did he take a shit and wipe his ass in the locker room? And they bring him out handcuffed, and they've got to take the... Is that comedy getting in the way of the success they're already having with getting Wardlow over as a monster? Just needless. It's it's needless funniness when people are into what what else you're doing. The handcuffs seem really unnecessary, and it's the one 
down part about all this. And when it comes to this specific segment, it's funny. I thought about the MJF segments other than Jericho shit that I've liked the least are usually the ones where he's with Mark Sterling, who if he's an attorney or not, he seems like a fake attorney on TV. He doesn't seem yeah. real in any way. So you can't even pretend it just seems like a guy performing. So I don't like his inclusion in this, although it does bring some consistency with earlier MJF stuff. They are on such a great ride and so much momentum with the Wardlow stuff. To me, the handcuffs, specifically just the handcuffs, took everything down a notch. Speaking of taking things down a notch, let's go to our next match. The Blackpool Combat Club, Danielson, Moxley, and Yuta against Brock Anderson, Dante Martin, and Lee Moriarty with Arn Anderson. Now that Cody's gone, I, I understand there's the connection with Brock as his son, but he's just managing job guy baby faces for the top guy baby faces that work like heels to beat. Um, Yuta got new tights. Did you see that? I thought of you right away. Thank fucking God. He looks better. Every baby face gets his own entrance in this, include, but at least Moxley goes straight to the ring from the parking lot now. And they jump an immediate six-way. Mox gets in a fight on the floor for about 10 or 15 seconds, and everybody just goes to their corners and starts a tag team match. And again, the... <sighs> Is the Blackpool Combat Club, are they baby faces or heels, Brian? Yes. <laughs> I have no idea. I thought they were heels because Danielson was going heel, but Moxley's been a baby face. But Regal kind of acts heelish. But how do you boo Regal? He's great. You, you got and you as the underdog. Is you to the heel? Yeah. You got a beloved, you know, legend as, a, as the manager. You've got Danielson that was the best heel in the business. Six weeks ago, you've got Moxley, who's a baby face in that environment, but he's the shits. And you've got Yuta, who's the feisty underdog that won't give up. And they're working against three Stone Cold baby faces. I'm not talking about Stone Cold Austin. I'm talking about Stone Cold, flat, obvious baby faces. The son of Arn Anderson, Dante Martin, the leaping fellow, and Lee Moriarty. With Arn in the corner. So why are they feeding babyface jobbers to babyfaces that have to work like heels? So they have to beat these guys. Uh, basically, Brock has a nice little spine buster. Moriarty and Danielson did some nice stuff. There was one spot where it was Dante Martin against Moxley. And Martin backflips and then lands by the ropes and Moxley charges at him and Martin is supposed to flip again, but he either forgot or couldn't get his balance on the rope and Moxley just charged right past him to the right about three feet and flew headfirst through the ropes for no reason. So Dante could then do a big dive on him and Moxley could obviously catch him, but then Martin pops right back up to his feet after coming off the top rope and blasting the guy and down they go jumps up and grabs moxley and pulls him up before either one of them could sell anything and just throws him back in the ring and then all three members of the combat club beat up all three of the other baby faces and moxley hit his ddt one two three so there there you had that i thought it was all right as a match i liked it more than i have the previous weeks 
especially now that we're done kind of playing with the what is Yuta. Now he's an official member. But like I said last time, it's a little ridiculous everyone coming out to their own entrance if they're a team. And when do they see Moxley? Do they see him in the back and say, all right, we'll see you out in the ring. Go to your uh, spot in the hallway. Or do they not even see him before the match? It's like, well, we don't know if he's here. Hopefully, when they hit his music, he just magically appears with that security guard over there. Other than that, uh, Dante Martin, always better having facial hair. Without facial hair, he looks like a brunette Art Garfunkel doing high spots. <laughs> and apparently his brother is hurt again. I heard that his brother hurt his leg again. So even though Top Flight, he just came back from a ACL injury, I believe. They had reunited. And unfortunately, it sounds like his brother is out again. So Dante will be wrestling either singles or, you know, makeshift six-man matches. Well, speaking of makeshift matches, the next segment was a brief pre-tape in the back with the Hardly Boys, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, Adam Cole. They do some bland scripted verbiage that they have to do amongst each other. It just, it's like a, a charisma vacuum where every time they get together, they're into, each one of them are less interesting than ever before. But anyway... And they needed a better scripter. But next week is a 10-man tag team match. Oh, joy, oh, bliss with all of these guys against some other people. Did you see the package with Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt and Samoa Joe and Satnam Singe, the pinhead? I did. I thought the package did a better job than anything else of kind of laying <laughs> out what all this is. But Z Zippy gets subtitles. Even Jorge, old giant Gonzalez, could get out, I want the belt. But this guy gets, he's speaking English and he still gets subtitles. And so that's their plan to dominate the country of India. If you were from somewhere, let's just say, for example, that you were born somewhere, right? I was born somewhere. This well, is okay, fact. well, then then, then you can do this easily without pretending. If you looked and wrestled and acted like Satnam Singe, would, you, would the people where you were from want other people to know you were from there? Yes, because <laughs> whenever I sit and think just like how much better my life would be if I was seven feet tall and how much different it would be and all the... Doors that would open that I would probably walk headfirst right into because of my seven-foot stature. I always figured that if you're seven feet tall, everyone would be like, oh, that's our giant. We love our giant. So I think they would support it, yeah. But what if you're seven feet tall and you still have to cut your hair in a pencil sharpener? <laughs> then I what? don't know. I'd probably wear a hat. All right, then. Um, the big announcement. And again, Tony got publicity. There's a big announcement of some kind every week now, which tends to temper the anticipatory excitement over the announcements because they come quite often and they're sometimes not, you know, a mountainous statement. And this segment brought up one of the problems I've been saying that they have is that they have no one representing the promotion, no representative or I hate the word figurehead, but no, no representative, no, no person, no, no person in charge of speaking on behalf of AEW on television, except for Tony Khan, who apparently 
they had realized that on a an announcement like this, where there not only need to be an announcement made, but also matches revealed and some other things, that he couldn't do this. He's not a television performer or a public speaker, and he's in over his head. So they actually have the heel wrestler make the big announcement on behalf of the promotion. Have you ever seen that before in your life? Ever, in any wrestling ever, anywhere, where the one of the top heels would make the announcement of the business move that the promotion has just made. I have not, but I also wouldn't call Adam Cole a top heel right now. Well, I said one of the, you know, they, they, they think he is. Tony Schiavone had introduced Tony Khan, who comes out and awkwardly introduces the president of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Omari-san. Is that his legal name? <laughs> he has no, he's come from the WWE. He has no first name. Instead of saying the, the Honorable Hishashi Shinma and, and tell the people who this fucking guy is, he's familiar with him, so he is his friend Omari-san. And then before they can say anything else, the screen pops up and there's Adam Cole interrupting and his reason for him being the one to make the announcement is because everybody knows I've wrestled in Japan. So... Somehow, maybe Adam Cole got Cody Rhodes's executive vice president job because now Adam Cole is in on all of the news. Nobody knew what this announcement was going to be. Tony Khan advertised it, tune in, big announcement. But before he even makes it, Adam Cole can jump in on the screen, shut the boss up, and make the boss's announcement for him because, it is, as I said, it's intricate, requires several different matches being talked about and it, Tony was not capable of doing this. They need they need a Sergeant Slaughter. They need a AEW president. They need a commissioner. They need somebody that the people don't mind listening to and that can say these things in an authoritative authoritative way. And they don't Arn Anderson is out in the corner of the job guys. But could he possibly be a commissioner or fucking authority figure? Jesus Christ. Anyway, then the music hits of Adam Cole's friend. It's Jay White. Jay White, who we saw do something for a while some time ago. No, not for a while. I think he showed up on Dynamite. They announced him, and then he had a That's match. That's what I mean, for a while, about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, and then he had a match, I think, on like Rampage or something, and then we never saw him again. Yeah. So he came and showed up and did something a while, a while back. And he comes out and says nothing, and then gets interrupted by the fans, and then basically speaks but still says nothing. And the only good thing about this was Omari-san, whatever his first name may be, looks like a businessman. Tony Khan looked like, goddamn, like somebody had broken up the homeless camp. Did you see his facial reactions to, you know, Adam Cole and Jay White? I wasn't really looking. 
he shouldn't be on camera. And I'm not even trying to be mean or anything. He shouldn't be on camera. The other thing I want to say, and once I say this, you may never unhear it again. (laughs) Did you notice that Adam Cole has like a tick where he stutter starts every sentence? Okay, I haven't, but now that you say that... Eh, eh, Every sentence starts with... eh, He never just says the word. It's a stutter start to every single sentence. Every sentence. You'll hear it next time, now that I said it. Well, this was a horribly formatted segment that was all over the place. And uh, let's talk about the big announcement. Pay-per-view between... uh, Joint pay-per-view, all elite and New Japan. Okay. I mean, for the people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people are going to like. The AEW audience is probably the most predisposed in the world to know anything about or care anything about the current Japanese wrestling scene. And so I think that the fans that they already have and the people that are already into them will probably like this. Is it again going to get them anywhere with anybody else, no. Because if if they're not watching AEW right now, they sure as fuck ain't watching New Japan Wrestling or know who the fuck any of those people are. So, I mean, what else is there until we have specific matches? And then, we get specific matches, they're going to be, you know, the indie-rific, you know, fans' wet dream of the the great practitioners of strong style and don't sell shit coming over to fight our guys who do strong style and don't sell shit. Now with somersaults. Abby, you've been a bigger Japanese fan more recently than I was. I thought it was the greatest wrestling in the world in the 80s when it was. But um, are you excited? I'm not, and that's not to say I won't enjoy some of it because I'd love to see Okada and I like Ishii. And, you know, there are several other guys I'm a big fan of. I just hope when they bring Okada over, we get to see Okada in a singles main event, not Okada teaming up with Orange Cassidy or something. That's the fear when it comes to anything like this. You know, I'm sure the pay-per-view will be successful because AEW does a great job of converting their viewing audience into paying customers. Yeah. And this is right down that alley. But notwithstanding that, notwithstanding the fact that Tony Khan will make money on that pay-per-view event and the live house. I just don't know if it's in their best interest to focus on that. I just think you should focus on shit in-house and just fix things that need fixing, make things better that need to be made better, work on your talent and what's getting on the air, other than, you know, all of a sudden there'll be some New Japan guys just randomly showing up. It'll make some smart fans happy. It'll be some good matches, but I just don't think overall it's to the... Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't know if it's overall to the benefit of the company to just not focus on itself right now. Well, there does need to be some focusing done. Speaking of, uh, I was a little blurry on this next one. The Butcher. The Butcher! In the first singles match, I guess, that he's ever had on television, uh, has been hired by MJF to, you know, deal with Wardlow. And MJF and Sean Spears are up in the skybox now, and they have a spotlight on the skybox, but literally MJF now has a spotlight. Instead of being in Jericho's group or instead of being the leader of his own group, but there's five or six people in it, 
He's got Spears as a flunky. He's the fucking boss, and he's paying people in his periphery to do his bidding. So a spotlight is on him without him being lost in the crowd. I like this better. Wardlow comes out wearing the handcuffs with security, but they take the cuffs off of him. And God, I wanted this to be good, and the people wanted it to be good, and the result was good. But it took them a while to get there because, again, they were trying to have Wardlow do things with Butcher to show that Butcher was a bigger guy than he's been facing and more of a threat or whatever. But come on. It's the Butcher. He's been around for a couple of years. They never win anything. He and his partners, they're always in flunky positions. And right now, Wardlow, what's what's working, don't fucking fix it. He's been Goldberging people in seconds, selling little of nothing. But this, they had a hoss fight, as some of the fans call it. And, you know, the butcher's allowed to be throwing chairs in the ring and they're flighting on, f- flighting, fighting on the floor. But it was sloppy because butcher ain't smooth. And finally, they let butcher give Wardlow a power bomb. Of course, he fell down doing it and not on purpose. But I didn't need to see Wardlow be powerbombed unless it's by, you know, the big show on pay-per-view at some point in the future, whatever. So then Wardlow gets up and hits the four powerbombs in a row and gets the people back finally for the finish, one, two, three, and big pop. Butcher is not completely rotten, but he ain't wonderful either. And this, it just... I, I don't think this was the thing for Wardlow, and, and Butcher's not going to be any better or any worse no matter what they do with him at this point. What would you think? You know, what would have been more effective? This match the way it was, or even if you wanted to do all the stupid shit with the handcuffs and everything, you have all the security guards walk him out, no music, take off the handcuffs, and he goes in there and beats him in five seconds. Yeah. A guy that big. That would have been more impressive. I was about to say, then then they try to put the handcuffs back on him, and then he beats up 12 members of security and runs MJF out of the building. The, the the babies would have come in the air, but by the time they got finished watching these two waller around for four or five minutes, the, the bloom was off of it. And the power bomb was he a he should have been going for, it, and then when he fell down, you realized this match should have been shorter and it should have been more effective. Yeah. So, Eddie Kingston did a promo. Guess who he's facing Friday night on Rampage at the time that this was broadcast? Your favorite wrestler. Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia is booked more often than the NWA world champion used to be. He's on everything. So then there was a match that I held out some hope for, and actually it wasn't rotten, but it affirmed many of my beliefs that I'd had. Kyle O'Reilly against Jungle Boy in a single match. And remember, I've said this every time. If Jungle Boy has a good opponent that leads him, he's great. If he's in with another one of the indie guys that all they want to do is spots, it's a mess. And this bore it out more than normal because O'Reilly, we've said style-wise, he's different and he's probably our favorite one to watch in a single match of the Undisputed Era back when we liked all the members of the Undisputed Era before they joined, you know, the Lollipop Guild and began playing with the, you know, the fucking Lilliputians. 
but it, it, unfortunately, it's shown that Jungle Boy, over the last almost three years now, has made no progress whatsoever. Because the same things that we were talking about three years ago, he's still doing. Even in this showcase match where you see a, a single match, he's not in a tag with the dinosaur, he's not in the multi-man matches. He looks great. He can sell, except for his facials, I think, are going backwards instead of forwards. He can sell. He's good-looking for the young girls. He's got that under underdog-type persona. But I'm just right. He fights back from underneath and hits like a girl. Just the, the sidearm things when he's in a chin lock or somebody's trying to throw the gut shots. When he they they went to a break after the butterfly suplexes, which I don't know how O'Reilly doesn't break his neck own neck on those, but he makes a comeback. He has no emotion. He needs facials. Then Jungle Boy did the deal where he dumped O'Reilly over the top rope and did a dive, and then went back in the ring and did more shit. But his his blank face selling, or when he's firing the people up instead of a look on his face of triumph or jubilation or animosity or any type of stark emotion. It's just, it's the same fucking face. Uh, at one point, jungle boy overhead, belly to belly O'Reilly into the buckle. So basically the reverse of what they did when they paralyzed the guy in Japan a couple weeks ago, but immediately O'Reilly's back on offense. You know, they did, they did some back and forth. And then Jungle Boy gets a snare trap. They got a rope break, but it's slowed down. And Jungle Boy is not, he's not that interesting. He's just going from doing one thing to another. You don't, you know what I'm saying? It's just, he's doing these things, but there's not the, oh my God, I'm living and dying with it through his emotion and facials and body language. Playing to the crowd. He doesn't, he doesn't fire the people up at all even when there's a spot where he should. And some baby faces do it too much. He doesn't do it at all. It's like he's timid and scared of them and don't want to look and see there's people watching him. Uh, but anyway, finally, they did that finish that I fucking despise where O'Reilly gave Jungle Boy a superplex, and as soon as they landed, Jungle Boy hooked his legs and jackknifed him. So that kills the whole move. But O'Reilly kicked out and suplexed him and hit the sweet knee drop off the top that he does, one, two, three. So again, besides the fact that they kill the superplex, then the heel just gets up and beats the baby face clean. One, two, three, right in the middle of the ring. Not even trying to be shady. So it wasn't horrible, but, you know... Jungle Boy is where Jungle Boy is going to be, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that he's been in the tag team too long. I'm afraid he's played with the Cucamonga kids and their classmates too long. And I'm afraid that nobody has set him down and said, you could really be a big fucking deal if you actually learn to work and quit doing the fucking indie bullshit and get rid of the lizard and the whole nine yards. I think it may be too late. What do you think? I think so, because I think... To me, at least, the Jurassic Express has been there for so long, and they've been on TV nonstop. I feel like they are another one of these acts, for good or for bad, from the early days of AEW, like the best friends or other acts that have been around for so long, 
They're accepted in their role on the card, but for the longtime casual viewer, which in a sense I am with AEW, I'm kind of sick of seeing them. When I see the Jurassic Express, regardless of how they're booked or what the promo or angle is, you know, puts you in that fast-forward mindset. I've seen what they could do. I've seen their matches. I've seen all the kicks. With Jungle Boy, I stand by what I said to you a couple years ago. I think Powerhouse Hobbs' future is a lot brighter than Jungle Boy's, and that's when everyone was really talking about how big they thought he was going to be. And remember, they were going to yeah. try to elevate him with Jericho, and it just never happened. So now he's, he's a little the, bit he's older. He's the same guy he was three years ago. I mean, the only thing, maybe were they teasing at the end when he was saying, I'm sorry to Christian, if they were teasing him and Christian, I guess that's something to do, but I don't even know if people really want to see that. So, you know, there was a window to do something with Jungle Boy to break him out. It didn't really happen. He's still in the tag team. They are champions, but who's the top tag team in AEW? FTR, the Young Bucks. If you're a top AEW fan, who do you think are the top tag teams? FTR, the Young Bucks. No one's saying Jurassic Express. No. It's like, well, Manny, it's also- like Manny and Rude having the tag titles. <laughs> you know, that was a bit insulting. We put them back on the rock and roll because they put them on us and they turned around and here's Manny and Rude. And Rude was not who Rude would be at that point. No, Manny and Rude, and meanwhile, you had Rock and Roll Midnight, Road Warriors. You had Big T- Arn and Tully, yeah. if you want to even go there, even though they weren't a regular team. You had all these big teams, but Manny and Rude. And that's kind of what the Jurassic Express feel like right now. And I wasn't really into this match at all. But the problem still is it, it, they had a window to do something with Jungle Boy, but now we know he probably wouldn't have been able to carry it because nobody has taken the time to take him under their wing and t- get rid of his bad habits and teach him how to work. And he may be set in his ways by now, we'll, but it, we'll, we'll see if some, if some light bulb comes on. Um, MJF was in the back and called Officer Bar Brady a stupid old man. And I didn't think he was that old. And then he paid off, MJF did, not Barb Brady, Jake the Snake Roberts, who came in sweating like a whore in church <laughs> in this obviously air-conditioned building when everybody else is cool, calm, and collected. It looked like everybody turned a bucket of water over Jake's head. And he did a promo that never mentioned his man that he manages or what the fuck he was coming in and taking money to do. And then in the last 15 seconds, Archer just jumped in and swatted the envelope of money, said, I don't want the money. I just want to beat somebody up. And therein lies the problem with a great wrestling promo trying to become a manager. He has no idea how to talk about other people and get other people over. And we we all are a little less mentally nimble than we were when we were younger. Jake still can tell these these dark and sinister stories with his promos, but sometimes it sounds like he starts in the middle and you lost something at the beginning, or sometimes it sounds like he left the end off, and he never talks about the guy he's managing. So that's what I thought about this. What you MJF was great. What'd you think? Yeah, it was good to see Jake looking healthy. <laughs> God damn. The fuck he came out there. I've never seen anyone sweat like, like that. Was, it looked like he was sweating like <laughs> Elmer's glue or something. It was just <laughs> That may be what's in his hair, his fake hair. Who knows? Uh you know, Lance Archer, I'm trying to think back. He was with Jake, and then he was with uh Lambert, wasn't he? Yes. He joined Lambert's group. Well, he was with Jake, and he and he gave Lambert the big razor's edge. 
And then he joined Lambert. And then he hurt himself. And then he came back and lost a Texas death match that <laughs> in the first match of his big feud with the world champion was also the last match. And now he's taking payoffs to fuck up Wardlow. By the time they get Wardlow to MJF, you assume, you know, that match you have Wardlow versus MJF, who, you know, is an average size wrestler. Does it make sense to you that Wardlow is, would be going through bigger wrestlers each week and maybe being overexposed, possibly? Because, I mean, again, the Butcher was this week. Butcher's a bigger guy. He's one of the bigger guys on the roster. Archer's much taller than Wardlow. Do you think it makes sense to have him against all these big guys, or should it be a different direction? All right, since we don't know exactly where we are in the timeline of this, we're just guessing. But my thought is what's been working has been working. Have Wardlow powerbomb the small guy four times and stand on his chest every week, sweetening it up with the security and these other little tricks of the trade or whatever. And somewhere right before you're going to pull the trigger on the match that everybody wants to see, Wardlow versus MJF, which better be on a pay-per-view, then you MJF pulls an ace out of his sleeve and has... Not necessarily a bigger wrestler, but a a more top wrestler, a more main event guy, a better recognized wrestler, regardless of his size. Somebody that people can buy, but also an experienced guy that's not going to botch spots with Wardlow because he's green and is going to be able to put Wardlow over as a dominant monster force while still keeping his cachet in the industry, whoever's doing the job, because he's an experienced veteran. And maybe you do that. Maybe you save the the actual, not only top guy, but bigger guy or guy that's as big as Wardlow for his final hurdle, his final labor that he has to to surpass to get to MJF. And then maybe it's a little competitive, but still Wardlow, you keep him unbeaten and you keep his momentum going. I don't think you just put job guys in and give them four or five minutes so they can be competitive for a couple minutes just because the guy's the same size as Wardlow. Just No, keep him with little guys that are flunkies and then feed him a fucking more recognized talent that you can afford to have do a job in a high-profile situation and then maybe give him the big beast that he has to slay, the dragon, right before he gets to the fucking evil wizard or whatever. And at some point he destroys spears. Well, yes, yes. And that, you know, that could not even be a match. That can be just a, an incident, whatever the case. But you know who was up next, don't you? They sent for him. He showed up. He didn't have his chips. Hook versus Anthony Henry. And... I had one question at the beginning. How do, does he make his hair do that? It's every, it's just all over the place. It looks, you know, like a fucking, what was the, the doc in, in uh, Back to the Future, only he's not gray. Doc Brown. Doc Brown. So Hook got all over him with suplexes and cross faces and blah, blah, blah. And fucking beat him quickly as he should with the tap out, the red rum. But Danhausen comes out and tries to curse him during the match while he's 
while he's going into his finish. And the announcer's like, well, it didn't work. You think it didn't work? They're surprised it didn't work. Somehow Hook is invulnerable to this fucking guy cursing people. How could he have accomplished this? Remember I said, like the Danhausen stuff when I was hearing audio of his interviews about everyday life, once you apply him to wrestling, can't stand it! <clears throat> so, I wrote Taz should suplex somebody for letting this fucking Danhausen into this. They're going to fuck this kid up. And then Danhausen gets on the microphone and says some stupid shit in that voice and gives Hook the finger point where he puts his finger in Hook's chest and Hook just walks off. If he'd grabbed Danhausen and fucking suplexed him out of his shoes, they'd have thrown the babies in the air. But a fucking Halloween store reject punks Hook out and sticks his finger in his face and Hook just ignores him and walks off. So they had something there till they dropped it. What do you think? You know, we're talking about people who have been there from the very beginning and how they need to freshen things up. Danhausen got a big reaction from the people. Even though he hasn't been explained and he hasn't done much, those fans know who he is and reacted to him. And I'm not justifying any of this because I think Hook should be kept far away from any of this silliness because he seems serious. But maybe Danhausen's just the new Orange Cassidy. You know, Orange Cassidy doesn't mean what he did a few years ago to those ironic fans. Now they got Danhausen. He's a better upgraded Orange Cassidy. A gimmick. Nothing but a gimmick out there. Maybe not as insulting as Dan as uh, Orange Cassidy, because at least people... Although I did see something. Did you see the thing with William Regal last week? No. I guess it was well, after... What the, thing? <laughs> it it must have been after the show, but they taped it and put it on YouTube where Danhausen put a spell on William Regal, and William Regal put it over. Started oh, getting wobbly God. legs and pretending like oh. he was really cursed while Moxley and Danielson stood there and watched the festivities. Uh. Speaking of festivities, the fastidious festivities of Sammy and his little girl bitch face are in the ring. As I'm telling you, as long as she just stands there and makes faces, she is a money drawing heel. When she tries to do anything physical or say anything, well, she shits the bed there, but that face. And now Sammy's doing the full-fledged heel promo. My girl is hotter than yours. So again, I would love to know the answer one of these days of whether they planned this all along and it actually came off very well or whether they just saw that these two annoying dipshits were getting on people's nerves and decided to run with it. We'll find out. But here comes Scorpio Sky and the other page and Dan Lambert out to take up for the people. We talked about this earlier in the show. What the hell and French fried titty fuck is going on here? Dan Lambert comes out and is the voice of reason, telling Sammy Guevara that they're acting like high school douchebags and being the stern parent to the young little delinquents. Dan Lambert. And, and Paige, the other Paige, he actually did a good promo. I think he really doesn't like Sammy Guevara because he's not been that good before, that believable. 
So apart from that, you have Lambert, who has been the absolute, when I say biggest heel, I'm not talking about, no, he's not the biggest money drawing heel. I'm talking about the most irredeemable anti-AEW, anti-AEW fan guy on their program. And now he's coming out telling Sammy Guevara and his little girl bitch face the things they need to know how to modify their behavior and the people are with him. What is happening? I don't know. I mean, I've not been a fan of Lambert's act at all. Now it's just weird. (laughs) To me, the highlight of this thing was Ethan Page. And I know we've gone time and time over why you think what you do. And I'm not going to disagree with why you feel that way. But so many guys do stupid shit. He's got size. He's good on the mic. He looks like a dick. (laughs) I'll I'll give you that. To me, he's a guy I would do something with. You stick him with Scorpio Sky, it drags him down because nobody gives a fuck about Scorpio Sky. He did a promo on this show with Kazarian setting up, eventually it seems like a match with Kazarian and him, which no one will care about. And Sky wasn't that good on the mic. Ethan Page killed it on the mic here. And Lambert, again, he's Vicky Guerrero. You hear him yelling, but you're not really giving a shit. Yeah. Well, explain to me what was revealed, released, announced, made, modified, or whatever at the end of this promo. Basically, the bone of contention is that Sky wants a re Scorpio Sky wants a rematch with Sammy for the belt, and Sammy agrees to it if they will give him a mixed tag match. Yeah. And then they say, okay. <laughs> and then Sammy says, well, in next week, Sky, it's you and me in a ladder match. So Sky wants a match. Sammy says, okay, if you give me a mixed tag match, he never mentions who the mixes are. Who are the, who are the people? He don't say that. The opponents that have been challenged to a mixed tag match, even though there is not a female on their side in camera range, say okay without bothering to ask who the fuck you want or who's in it. And then Sammy makes it in the last go-home line, a ladder match between him and Sky next week, which is all we need. Again, another unwatchable festivity of flatulence. So that's the matches that the match or matches that they somehow made kind of. You know, they announce another one later on. I'd like someone to see. I'd like to know if there's a list of the amount of AEW gimmick matches. Week by week. <laughs> how many gimmick matches are there on Dynamite in a given year? Are there 52 gimmick matches? Because they announce a ladder match, they build up to a mixed match, and like I said, that's not the only gimmick match announced on this show. Well, but Tony's got a lot of notes. Tony's been making notes for years. So the next event was Danielle Camella versus Dr. Britt Baker. And obviously, they're in Pittsburgh. So Britt Baker is over. Obviously, I didn't have time to peruse this match in great detail, but she does a promo afterwards. Britt Baker does. Great not only great heel stuff, but it's her hometown and it still works because she's not being a heel on those particular people. But she did a good job. Um, as we really? mentioned, you know, I thought so just because 
you know, it's her hometown. The people are in it, and she's speaking after her short little match, and you didn't like it? I thought this was by far the worst Britt Baker promo maybe since she first turned heel. First Why? of all, she was out of breath. She couldn't get through a well, sentence. Well, she just worked. And I just thought her material didn't work. And I don't know. I felt like this completely missed the mark, and the promo wasn't getting over. She's over with those people. Yeah. I don't think the promo did anything. I don't think the promo did any good at all. Well, it was really, it wasn't, there wasn't a point to a lot of it uh, just to let the, her hometown fans hear her talk anyway. So she may have been twisting on the material. But did you see? She's got two members of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the ring with her, right? I don't know anything about football. Don't have any idea who they are. But one of the football players, when she finished the promo and they're, the announcers are about to pitch and they're starting to play the bumper music or whatever, one of the football players grabs the microphone and tries to start on it and they cut it. <laughs> and you saw a little shot of him just going to town saying something to himself in the ring, but nobody else was hearing it. That was my favorite part. They ought to do that more often. Just tear off the mic? Yes. And just, and not tell the guy and the guy, cause you can hear yourself talking, right? So that's, that's why a lot of people you'll see though, is this on? Cause they can't tell lest they can hear themselves over the speakers. So just let the guy, yeah, it's on, go talk all you want. Main event time, Brian talked about gimmick match, a coffin match, a coffin match. Darby Allen versus Andre Oleolio. Because the sum total of reason for this is Darby Allen does a move that he calls the coffin drop. And the Undertaker ain't involved in this. This is not a long running blood feud. This is certainly not the WWF of the 90s. They just got to have a coffin match because that's fun for Tony Khan to write that down. <sighs> a coffin match. And it's no DQ. Lazy booking. Darby Allen in the first 30 seconds is whacking Andre with the skateboard. And shortly after that, as in seconds, private party just run in. And they just attack Darby Allen and beat him up in front of the referee, God and everybody. Andre throws him through the barricade. All the heels beat him up in front of a fan on the other side of the railing who's dressed as Sting. But turns out, it is Sting! And he takes his Sting mask off and has the Sting face paint underneath. And here comes the rest of Andre's former House of Hardy. Uh, before they got Jeff and, and Hardy couldn't keep house anymore. And there's Sting and there's Darby and there's whoever. And they have a big 10-man fight in the arena with garbage cans. And there was 10 more minutes at that point left in this program. And I said, I'm fucking done. Did I miss anything? Nah, I really don't think so. <laughs> and I also don't think this feud... Needed this match. I don't think anyone cares about Andrade. I think Darby hasn't been used properly in a little while. I brought up the other gimmick matches. You missed the other one. They announced Serena Deeb versus Hikaru Shida Philadelphia Street Fight next week. Oh, I for yeah, I forgot about that. I, I was slow on my fast-forward finger and taking it off fast-forward and zipped right past that. But um, 
So next week, they'll have a 10-man tag, a ladder match, and a Philadelphia street fight all in the same two hours, plus more. Remember, can you imagine the response from any wrestling fan in the United States of America in 1988 if we described, yes, they were fighting on the floor, and then the other guy came out, and then they had garbage cans, and there was 10 of them. They're fighting all over the arena. People be like, oh, shit. I wish I'd have seen, I've never seen anything like that before. How did I miss that? And now they say, oh, they did that again? Oh, I saw that last week. And it was a bad show. It just felt like it went downhill from the beginning. And also, the hottest act, one of the hottest act, I hate to use the word act. I know you hate it, but it's just the I don't like that, uh, that word. You don't like that act? <laughs> you I don't, don't like that act. The, uh, the hottest thing the last few weeks has been FTR. Not on the show. The only mention of them is seconds. There's a graphic put up for seconds <laughs> announcing next week Cash versus Dax. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, in the tournament. In the not even in the tournament as a qualifying match to get oh, into wait, the tournament. It's not in. It's not a tournament match. It's just a qualifier. Uh, but the crowd, as soon as they saw FTR on their screen, they popped. You heard it. Go back and watch the tape. They weren't on the show, or at least maybe they were on Rampage or something else, but they weren't on Dynamite. And I think right now where everyone's getting behind them, you should use them more, not use them well, use them well off TV. They'll come back against each other. What? That doesn't work. Well, and somebody on Twitter said, well, Cornette's not going to like that because that's <laughs> when I went in and in, in the – a re- the uh, new Midnight Express experiment, Bart Gunn and Bob Holly, that was foisted on me. Like, you got to hear, keep your stepchildren for the weekend. It's not that I didn't like them. I didn't want a new Midnight Express. But when they booked them in the opening round of the Brawl for All, that's when I took the opportunity. After we'd done a job to the headbangers in the opening match in Atlantic City the previous night or wherever, I went in and said, this is a good time for me to bow out. I'm done. I'm re-retiring as a manager. This ain't getting over. It ain't going to work. And now you've got these guys fighting before they're established as a tag team. Tag team partners wouldn't fight. Of course, shit stays. Well, this because this is real. He wanted to tell everybody that all the other shit we were doing was fast. Well, that'll really get them over. Hey, we've been a fake wrestling team, but now we're going to have a real fight against each other. I don't mind tag team partners wrestling under certain circumstances. And usually it's a tournament situation with a blind draw. Wasn't that Dory and Terry Funk in that famous, what, with 56-minute single match they did for Baba in Japan in, what was it, 1981? Yeah, it was either 80 or 81, so I think it was 81. Was that either the finals or the semifinals of the Champion Carnival Series, right? It was a big match in the Champion Carnival Series, yeah. Yeah. That's the only time they ever wrestled. Exactly. And we did the same thing in Ring of Honor with the Briscoe brothers in 2009 or 10 with a tournament for the TV championship where it's blind draw. And oh my God, because that's intrigue. And they wrestle without trying to kill each other, but they have good matches because they're brothers and they're competitors and they're athletes, but they don't have a blood feud going. And You can have intrigue like that. And if you're trying to split a team up, well, then you can play with it all over the place and cause ill will. But a tag team normally that's just still trying to get over, or if it's not a tournament situation, 
you know, that to me, this, I know the guys FTR, they wanted to have a match against each other to show what they can do again. Cause they're the only ones they can show what they can really do uh, against each other. Um, but it shouldn't have been a qualifier to get in the tournament. Can you imagine if both guys won qualifiers to get in the tournament and then won their first round match and because of the bracketing, they were fucking set against each other in the second round. That way they've each got singles wins, which both of them could use for some credibility. And then they, they had no idea or not no idea, but they certainly hoped that they wouldn't have to face each other on their path to the finals. But now here we are. So we're going to make the best of it. And then honestly, if they each had one or two singles victories each, I'd Broadway them and eliminate both of them and give somebody else that would have faced them in the third round to buy and show that it can happen. And there's no clear-cut, definitive better man between Dax or Cash. Well, again, my point was they should have been on this show. <laughs> hey, Freddie Farm Bureau should have been on this fucking... They could have used anybody on this show. And one more thing before I end my AEW thoughts. And once again, I remind everyone, I'm under the weather. Uh, but Yes, you are. The weather is on top of you. Tony Khan's been using Punk pretty well. He's starting off a lot of shows with hot matches with Punk. Now they're teasing Punk versus Adam Page. The MJF Wardlow stuff's been pretty good. Typically, this week was somewhat of a miss for various reasons. To me, the biggest disappointment, and I know AEW fans love the Blackpool Combat Club. Danielson. Danielson. The Danielson segments were becoming the highlight, one of the highlights of the show. Since that time, he doesn't talk. He was so good on the mic yeah. playing against those fans. He hasn't talked since. And now he's just buried in six-man matches. And I know people like them. I shouldn't use the word buried, but there was something else happening and it was special. And they should have ridden that wave instead of doing this with Brian Danielson. Put someone else in this group. This yeah. was not the right fit for him right now. They, they deprived their company of the best working heel in the business today. And the, who was doing incredible shit and doing incredible promos. And making it look effortless. And getting people interested. And as you said, now he's in six-man tags. A, a mute with a glorified indie fucking garbage deathmatch guy and a fucking up-and-coming young jobber as his partners. <sighs> anyway, that was the AEW program. That's caught us up on this past week in wrestling, except for NXT, which, to be honest, I read the reviews, and there was not a single goddamn thing on that program that I had wished that I would seen, so I didn't. I forgot about NXT altogether until you yeah. just brought it up. <laughs> well, Braun Breaker's going to have a match with John Wayne Gacy somewhere coming up. I guess we'll see what that looks like. But uh, but yeah, NXT was eh, lackluster this week. But, um, but don't worry, on your show, and you better feel better in the next few days, because on your show, we'll get to talk about all the lackluster stuff that happened over the weekend on SmackDown and Rampage and any other people who lose their luster? Plus questions. The few days. Questions Plus from the questions listeners. from the people. From the people that want to know 
the answers to these important questions of the day and of the time and of the profession, and we will be there to provide that knowledge. That's right. Well, at least you'll be providing knowledge. I don't know what I provide, but you provide the knowledge. Well, apparently you need to provide your name for some of these people to put you in the salutation part of the emails that we're getting because they're leaving you out. What about Brian, folks? Don't leave Brian out. You'd like to be left out right now, wouldn't you? I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the other part and is actually, I really don't you'd, care. <laughs> you'd like to be left out and Harley Quinn wants to be let out. So I will put her out and I'll close this up and say, folks, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week to do it even right next time. And join us for the drive through in a couple of days where Brian Last will nip up from his puniness and ask me things that I will make up answers to on the spot. Right? You'll be telling the truth about things that are institutional knowledge for you. That's another way of saying it. And until then, folks, thank you, fuck you, and... Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo
hero Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? Nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Pay my money to watch this show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo I 